Tito from seventh to first in the final event. You are a champion. And Oleksiak has done it! The girl from the six has got six Olympic medals. The substitute for Canada just about gets it through. It's a glory gold for Canada. Kathy Lifting goes up to Graham, takes the lead, looks a winner, draws away from Graham and Mary. This is a famous victory, a magnificent performance. It is Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you for your favourite type of episode, a clip show, the best of Off the Podium. Part 6, that's ridiculous. How do we have six of these? No idea. Episode 300, and as we like to do every 50 episodes, we like to take a bit of a break, bring you a clip show of the best bits from the episodes in between those 50 episode milestones. So you're going to be hearing clips today from episodes 251 to 299. I'm going to go all the way back to our Brie Walker post-Beijing interview right through to the interview that you heard a couple of days ago. A couple of days ago, of course, Valerie Maltese. And it's a big collection of interviews that we've got in that period. Some fantastic big-name guests Everyone from the GOAT of their respective country in terms of Olympic medals won right through to those athletes who the achievement of making the Olympics was their gold medal. We also had two big events that we covered in the last 50 episodes with the Commonwealth Games, the Birmingham Commonwealth Games, of course, where we fell in love with the ball. I think you'll hear a little bit about the ball in this one. And our very first time covering a World Cup in terms of a soccer World Cup, the Qatar, the Men's World Cup, of course, held at the end of 2022. We covered that throughout the entire tournament and it was a lot of fun. You're going to enjoy this. There's so many great moments to relive and go over and remember. So sit back, relax and listen to the best of Off the Podium Part 6. When you're doing a training run, are you worrying about the times and worrying that, hey, I'm the fastest? Or is that just something that is it's, the media is paying attention to that? You're just worried yeah. about your own performance and don't care about where you're placed? Yeah, I actually didn't even know that the training times were something that were televised or even paid attention to. Um, and, and you often see me like on the camera because like when we're at World Cups, they do record our training runs just to kind of, um, I know, get... I guess, get used to positions and all that. And I'm always playing up to the camera, like blowing a kiss and, and having a good time, especially with the camera guys, because they're awesome and you talk to them behind the scenes. Um, and so I didn't actually know that the, those training runs were being recorded. And They were live. Um, we were watching them. We were on air and we were actually watching them live. <laughs> um, so you, you guys all saw me being a fool. Um, we but, did, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but I, just with those training runs, like, I knew I was laying down runs and I knew that they were going very well, but I always know that it's just training and that's not what matters. What matters is what counts is the results on the day. So I knew that I had people like Kaylee and Alana were going to come for me and that you can never, you can never rest on, on the fact that like your, your training is going well. So your race is going to go well. Um, and yeah, it was just something that I was like, okay, I am going well. Let's just continue that process and go through it. And, it was ultimately like it, it was a little bit shocking that in my first run I didn't produce the performances that I had been producing in in racing. 
uh, in, in the training run, sorry. And so I knew I had made a big mistake in the first run and I was like, okay, I let's hope that this doesn't knock me off too much because my coach did say to me, my driving coach, he was like, you will always have one bad run, always. And he's like, what you need to do is then like, kind of regroup and then go up and, and, and rectify the mistakes that you've made. So I was like, okay, I made a big mistake. I hadn't done that that week. And I was like, I now need to go up and rectify it. And then to come up and see 10 next to my time, I was like, Ooh, that hurts. And I was like, right. I'm never one to like count myself out but this is going to be a hard, lot of hard work to be able to get back up to where I want to be. Um, and I learned a lot of lessons from that first day. I actually wasn't all that nervous. I actually think I squished a lot of my nerves and, and emotions um, and to kind of, I guess, be on the other side of um, the bell curve. And that is what I think affected my performance on the first day so much is that I didn't allow myself to feel the emotion and the nerves um, of competing at my first Olympics. Um, and so, yeah, for me, I was, I sat down and I reviewed that first day with my coach and I was just like, all right, I know what I did wrong. It wasn't necessary in my driving. I just blocked out all my emotions. So now I, t- tomorrow I'm just going to go in there and enjoy the day. And so the next day I allowed myself to feel everything. I was nervous. I was excited. Um, I, like, would, would look outside and, like, take in where I was at. I was, like, I, I looked around at some of the athletes, and but, like, not really. Like, I just was kind of, like, scanning everybody and just feeling very in the moment. And I think that's what how I was able to then go out on the second day and produce my best performances because um, I just allowed myself to feel a lot more. You're basically confirming that Cool Runnings is true because if you're remembering Cool Runnings on the first day, they – sucked and then they went the next day and they embraced their Jamaicanness and they embraced the emotions and they did really well so you're confirming that cool runnings is there you go look at that yes yes I've I lived the cool runnings you literally did you lived everything that they laid out on that first run in cool runnings See? Yeah, crazy I didn't even realize that so I need to go back and watch the movie again because I didn't realize that but yeah that's that pretty much that's what I did and like you it's for me I've just come to terms with the fact that like that was my first Olympics my first real highlight event where I was a true competitor um and so I just take I'm going to take that experience and I'm going to bottle it up and I'm going to put that towards the next four years is a lot of why maybe a lot of people haven't heard of him or don't talk about him. It was kind of just that personality where he wasn't somebody to be in the spotlight a little bit because, I mean, it is that legacy, I guess, that he did leave for the sport. I mean, looking at sort of the US in in swimming, you know, in the five Olympics up to 1912, didn't top the medal tally once in swimming, but uh, in the, all the ones afterwards, 24 Olympics, it's only been five times you've not topped the uh, swimming uh, yeah. since 1920 Olympics. So there's a legacy there. Yeah. But, I mean, do you think if he was a bit much more of a, a personality kind of, no offence to Americans, this is a compliment, don't worry, Michael, that we picture Americans as kind of very much like, yeah, I'm American, yeah. So, like, do you think if he was sure. a bit more like that, we might be 
talking about him a lot more, you know, a hundred odd years later than we actually are. I, yeah, a hundred percent. He, like I said, he was just shy, humble. He never wanted the spotlight. And the only reason why he took it even for a little bit, because he knew he was the face of swimming. And if he didn't do this, swimming was never going to raise, rise to the level that, you know, he and some of his coaches believed we could as a, as a country. And one tribute to his, I think how he carried himself was in the 1908, uh, I'm sorry, the 1912 Olympics when he wasn't there and Duke Kahanamoko um, was in his stead to, to um, defend his 100 meter crown. The United States got the wrong information and didn't show up for the race. And it wow. was Cecil Healy of Australia, who was one of Daniel's you know, old rivals who Daniels and him went neck and neck and Daniels always eked it out. But, you know, Healy, I think really respected his, his fight and he respected how he was humble and everything like that. And Healy stood up against the Olympic committee and says, we're not, I'm not going to do this race unless Kahanamoko can be here, unless the Americans can be here. Wow. And uh, he was a, Cecil Healy was a great tribute to Australia and a real hero died in world war one, sadly, I think in the last week of the war. But um, just just a great human being and sportsman, uh, somebody to be really proud of. You ultimately met your Olympic debut in, in Turin, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But that period, sort of late 90s through the early 2000s, when you're going on the international scene, making your way through the ranks, the junior ranks, I believe at one point you were ranked number two for your age discipline in, in the slalom in, in, in the world to so kind of making through those ranks? I mean, was Salt Lake a possibility sort of in that period or kind of was it always, if you were looking towards an Olympics 2006, Turin was always that goal. And if Salt Lake had it happened, it would have happened. Um, Salt Lake is an interesting story. Um, and I'm sure that someone from the AOC would have a different version to me. Um, however, I was injured. I got injured. I did my first ACL, um, ligament break in just prior to the world championship event in St. Anton in 2001 at the world junior champs actually. And, um, and that, that, that event in St. Anton was the, was the qualifying event for the 2002 games. Now, obviously I couldn't compete. Um, I then returned to competition the following season and, um, let's just say that I was proving that I had the ability to be on the Olympic team alongside my athletes and had um, done that a number of times over. And unfortunately the powers that be disagreed. Um, and, and look, I totally understand that there's, there's, there's rules and regulations and, and systems and processes that need to be followed um, because the flow and effects can be, can be to other sports and other events can be, um, can be detrimental. So um, unfortunately I was denied the ability to go and ski in Turin, uh, sorry, in Salt Lake um, to the point that I actually, I ended up getting told I could compete and I flew there and then Lance got off the plane and was told I wasn't allowed to compete. Wow. Um, yeah. So that was a bit of a, uh, you know, a mind game. So um, yeah, unfortunately my, my goal was to compete in Salt Lake. I actually, my original goal when I was a kid was to do five, to go to five games um, was if, if I, if I thought if I could stay uninjured, I'd be able to go um, all the way through, you know? So what would that be? 2002, 6, 10, 14, 18. So, through, wow, yeah. um, so um, 
anyway, look, it didn't happen and we missed out on Salt Lake and then uh, and then the focus turned on to back into the World Cup, um, improving improving world rankings and, and just kicking on from there and continuing the dream. So did you stay in Salt Lake? Like did, were you there and you yeah. thought we might as well cheer on the team or and like partied up? Fuck you guys, I'm just going to live this up right now or was it a case of I'm, I'm going to go now? This, Pretty is, much. this is bullshit. No, well, there was a bit of there was there was there was a fair bit of the BS commentary. Um, however, no nah, man, I was sticking around. Like yeah, yeah, for sure, it was we lived it up. And actually, I'd been training with the British team at the time, and and a, and a really good friend and teammate of mine, Alan Baxter, he won the bronze medal um, in slalom in that event to then controversially have it taken away from him to then controversially have his name cleared later at a later date. Um, and so, you know, obviously we didn't know that was going to take place. So we absolutely let it Salt Lake rip on that evening of the slalom event. Um, I, I can was there imagine. In the, in the stands watching, talked my way into the after parties and, um, <laughs> you know, it was like, screw it, let's go. Yeah. So, yeah, it was good. It was, it was good fun. You, you've got to find you've got to find the positives, right? And um, and I think you know, coming back to mindset, <clears throat> you know, you get cha- you get thrown challenges and um, adversities all the time as an athlete. Um, and and fortunately, you know, I was able to stay positive throughout that experience. And then and then actually, the week after the Olympics, um, we had a Noram Cup, which is like the B level in the next level down in in um, in in Maine in um in in America and we had we had we had three of the four US Olympic team athletes there who were all top 15 and um and I managed to win the race so wow. it was a um it was a big up yours to the authorities um back in Australia uh, you know and I, I don't I don't I don't I don't harbor any re- resentment I was obviously bummed out about it but um you know, I guess it was nice to be able to say, "Hey, I know that's the rules, and you had to follow them." But you, I think you might have made the wrong wrong decision in this case. So, and yeah, when when it comes, I mean, obviously, if you don't want to go into it, don't go into it. But when you say the rules, was it like a quota thing? Was it kind of based on qualification times? I mean, kind of what was it that these rules that basically you didn't get that slot in Salt Lake? Uh, it's just it was just a, a qualification criteria which I was unable to achieve at a, at that race in Saint Anton because um, I couldn't compete. So and then there was a second criteria which was which was significantly harder and um, you know I, I I didn't make it. I had a number of um, DNFs in those events um, in the following season. So look, I I totally understand you know why it happened and everything like that. Um, I would love to see probably a little bit more discretion being used for for extenuating circumstances but that's not the world we live in you know there's politics in sport um and like i said before you know if they've made an exception for me that would have had a massive flow-on effect to you know who knows what in winter sports or summer sports or you know you never know so i um i 100 respect the that decision and that what they what the the you know the leaders at in their positions at the time had to do um i just was bummed out about it you know that's the bottom line Do you 
I guess, strategically jump differently in one versus the other? I, I would guess in the team event, you kind of have to know you need this. Or, and also, I guess, the same lines. Um, do you ever feel like you have to reserve something for another? Like, is, does that have a little bit of added pressure knowing, you know, I, I have to make sure that uh, I've got enough left to do the team event? For um, us? Yeah, I wouldn't say so. It's, it's kind of like, um, as soon as you're up at the top of the ski jump, and you get the flag from the coach, it's just you. It's, um, you know, from that point on, it's individual. And at the end, when all the points are added up, then it's a team um, team effort. But uh, yeah, none of your teammates can can jump for you um, when you're coming down the ramp. So I don't know. I, I, uh, I don't think, at least I don't change my mentality that much um, when I'm on the jump, when I'm jumping, but after then of course it's it's nice to share the emotions with teammates so. yeah i definitely agree with suka because i mean to pull your end of the like team you gotta focus on what you're doing and you can't be like oh like i'm worried about what they think about me and i'm worried about this and this and this you just need to jump and not be fixating on external things because fixating on something outside of your now is going to result in not a very good jump because you're not going to be thinking about what you have to do. You're not going to be focused and you're not going to be calm. And so you can think about what all your teammates are doing and, you know, all that when you get to the bottom and you get to share those moments with them at the bottom. They're not sitting on the bar with you. They're not putting on your boots, you know, Ironically, I was in Abby skis, but <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to ask about that because I did read something that like you had like, what did that come down to? Um, so my skis were two. my original skis were 235s and I was 300 grams too light for my skis. And so um, my coaches decided that I'd use Abby's spare skis because hers were shorter than mine. And so Abby lent me her spare skis so that I could compete in the um, mixed team. So fortunately, so that's a good teammate will share skis. And that 300 grams is what got you disqualified in the yeah. individual. 300 event, right? grams. Yeah. 300 grams. Now, I mean, I remember now interview talking about sort of the uniqueness about certain things when it comes to that. And I don't think Colin ever let me, uh, you know, live down the fact that I was asking an 18 year old about her crotch, but we won't get back into that. But I'm it, 17 at the time. Well, thanks ben, for making it worse. Go, um, <laughs> if, if you're listening to these authorities, I'll give you my address afterwards. But it's, it, what really hammered that home was, like, I was actually really glad that, you know, I was able to, had some education on that and sure our listeners as well, because then what happens in the mixed team event, of course, is that comes to the front even more so when what was it Germany, Japan, Austria and Norway are all having disqualifications oh. as well. Wasn't it? Yeah. Well, a part of it was the size of the suit this way for a lot of those girls, not necessarily their crotch because we have a, I can't remember. I think it's three centimeter leniency so if it's three centimeters bigger than your actual body uh it's legal but anything more than that it's illegal which it's it's so just fascinating because i remember you know through all of that that i think was it the the germans in particular were like i've been jumping in this suit for so long like how is it different like how can you explain that simply about if that is the case if you're jumping in a suit maybe it was the same for you that you were it jumping just didn't in the get same checked. it just so it's, mm. is that, it's just that simple it didn't get checked it just didn't get checked. 
And, you know, there's different types of tests they can do and they don't do all of them at once. They will only do one at a time. And so if your suit is only legal, illegal in one part of this test or one part of the series of tests for your equipment, then you're not gonna get disqualified. Canadian system, um, you're not considered an Olympian until you've competed. And so I believe I have that mindset as well, because you never know what could happen in between that announcement to your competition date. You know, it's sport, you can get injured, you could get sick, whatever, you can end up just not competing. Um, and so then um, I, I don't believe that you're an Olympian until you've completed the competition. So for me, it wasn't until that fourth run was done, but it didn't uh, really hit me that it's like I have the Olympian status until I think I was like back home. And, you know, I was telling people like, yeah, I just competed at the Olympics and because they'd be like, oh, what, what do you do for work? And I'm like, wow, well, I'm like a national team athlete. And they're like, ah, you're going to go to the Olympics or something. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, actually, I was just there in February. And they're like, what? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah. Um, and so I think that's kind of when it was like, oh yeah, like I just, I just did something that like most people don't do. Which you then get to add three cool little uh, initials after your name as well. You can yeah, be Y, yeah. which kind of looks a little bit fancier. But it's, I mean, I always love also hearing the stories because it's fascinating to hear that. Like I, I definitely think it's, um, you know, every athlete I feel has that different interpretation of when they may become Olympian. But outside of that level of it, I always love hearing about the things that it is to be at an Olympic. So, you know, getting the uniform, going to the village, the opening ceremonies, the closing ceremonies, things like that. Like, do you allow yourself to get caught up in those little things at that time and, and sort of really soak it in? Like I've got, you know, all this Lululemon shit in front of me, which, you know, everybody yeah. would pay their left arm and a leg for literally because it's that expensive. Um, hello to our Lululemon. We love you. But uh, I mean, like, things <laughs> like that, do you, do you take that on board and really soak up those moments? Yeah, so because because of COVID, the Olympics were very different. Like I tell people, like I jokingly, I'm like, oh, like the Beijing Olympics were so VIP that the, the Chinese citizens weren't even allowed to come. <laughs> and um, so, and it, but it's true. It's like we we had other athletes there, we had coaches, so it did kind of feel almost normal, like our, our normal bobsleigh bubble, because we were around a lot of our competitors. We were with the skeleton athletes we had been there in October. So it's kind of like, all right, like we know where the village is. We know what the bobsleigh track is all about and like things like that. We're with very similar people. So it felt very um, normal almost. And which is good because it kept, I found that my nerves were kept very, very minimal until like the night before morning of. And like, I literally, I was like, I hadn't felt like that nervous or like that type of nerves in a long time. And it was like this nervous excitement. And I was like, texting my coach and he's like okay like well do you want to have a call like let's talk about other stuff and so like he like sat on the phone with me and I was like I'm just so nervous and like <laughs> he like tried to distract me which I was like super grateful for because I think that's what I needed um but yeah because it felt at least for me it's like because it felt um so normal like just like we're at another competition um there wasn't a whole lot of like like, whoa, like this is a, oh my gosh. And like, it was obviously super cool to get the Lululemon stuff, but it just, 
it was, it was just different. And like, even for me, I actually was one of the lucky athletes that went to the quarantine building. So I was actually opening my Lululemon stuff, um, with my friends, uh, on FaceTime in the quarantine building. And I, I missed, yeah. And I missed the opening ceremonies, um, because of that. Um, at that point I was in, uh, the isolation protocol, but yeah, I, um, I didn't get to walk into the opening ceremonies. Um, and that's okay. Like it happened. Did you do the closing ceremony? Were you able to, I did, I did. Yeah. So I did do the closing ceremonies, which was like really amazing. It's like, it's so beautifully done and, um, it's an inspiration. Like, you know, you're sitting next to like, like, you know, a gold medalist, like you're sitting, like the hockey girls are behind you. And like, you know, Christine De Bruyne is like a couple of seats over and you're like, man, this is so cool. Like I'm, I'm one of, I'm with like these like just amazing athletes. And like, you're like, wow, like this is like, we've just done something like that most people don't do. And like during a pandemic and it's like, this is crazy. even put it into words what it's like to to realize that you're an olympic champion i mean you as said at the top of the interview five world championships which i'm sure are pretty darn special but i mean an olympic gold medal uh something i can imagine that never gets topped yeah they they often say that you trade all your world championship wins in for for that olympic medal and um yeah honestly i, I probably agree with that because i don't remember many of the world championship wins now that i think about it uh, maybe the parties after them were too big. I can't remember. But um, <laughs> all the large coffees uh, you get the, for a world championship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I can put into words like other than to say happy. Um, it wasn't a, a sense of relief because I think we knew we'd done the hard work. We we knew we deserved to to do well. Um, whether it was to win or not win, I think just all the challenges through COVID just made us so appreciative just to be there and to to be racing to to do what it was that we loved doing and we'd worked so hard towards. Um, and to get to, to do it on the stage, we, we couldn't have our family and friends there who, which had been planned and had been so part of it. So we kind of, yeah, you, you go into it that a slightly lesser expectation, perhaps some extent, some extent of the experience, but, um, just as high for the results and, uh, yeah, to get away from, from that one and just to do it with the people that we set out to do it with after all those years, I think, um, yeah, just made me happy. <laughs> do, do you remember that? Dias, do you remember the medal with the the national anthem? Do you do you remember all of that? Yeah, certainly. I think I'd watched plenty of um, Olympic sports up to that point, and and understood there's a one like no other with the, all the COVID protocols that you're kind of standing up there with your masks and these always fantastic looking tracksuits that never really fit properly. Um, and ours <laughs> was no exception. <laughs> um, and I remember thinking it through it before. It's like if I was ever going to get presented by, by someone, it's got to be from, from Matt and I wanted to be the same to do it for him. So as soon as it came up, I grabbed, grabbed the first one off the, the table and Matt kind of put his head down and I, I put my hand out to shake his hand to, to say well done first. And, um, and I think that was just a really special touch that we had between the two of us. It was the same handshake we, we met each other with every day of our campaign. Um, and it was a, a nice way to finish it. And yeah, it was super proud moment to, to see the flag and hear the national anthem and not many people there, but my little sister was there and I knew she had all the mobile phones hooked up to <laughs> our family and friends and girlfriends and all over the world, uh, showcasing it. So that was pretty cool.
you came away 31st in the skiathlon, which is the highest ever finish by an uh, individual athlete, by an Australian at the Olympic Games. How is that to, to hear that? I mean, I just must be something pretty special for you to come away and hold that record because, uh, I, I mean, you know, you, you're an Australian Olympian, two-time Olympian who holds an Australian Olympic record. So, I mean, how is that reflecting on that now, uh, three or four months removed from uh, achieving that feat? It's actually very special to me because I felt like I missed my mark that I wanted at this last Olympics. And in that race, like I, the other devastate, I really wanted to be top 30. And I was like in 26 at one point. And then I'm like kind of bad at sprinting. So like four girls passed me in the finish shoot. And that was like, I literally looked up at the finish. Like I looked up at the board and I was like, really 31st? <laughs> like I was like, <laughs> All I wanted was to be top 30, <laughs> like 31st. I was like, you're kidding me. Um, and so, and that was like my big goal. And so then having that achievement, I think like made it better because I, I was like, well, I didn't do that, but like, like that was pretty special for me. So I felt like for me, it is a huge achievement and I'm like really happy with the result that day. Um, so yeah, it means a lot. I guess. And I think I only got it by one place. So I'm pretty sure Barbara had it before and, or maybe she was 33rd or something. So it was I like think it was 32nd. Cause I remember sort of going into that. Uh, there was, I think I she, just, there was 32nd yeah. was a couple there, which I mean, d- does it take, d- are you informed of that? Like pretty much straight away or like, did you know that beforehand or how long does it take till somebody goes, Oh, by the way, Jess, this is, you created history. Sorry. You didn't get top 30, but you now are a history maker. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't actually know at the time because my goal was so much so to be top 30 that I, and I knew if I did that, I, I knew that would be it, but it wasn't like it was a goal. I just knew that if I skied to like the potential or like if I got the results I wanted, it would have been that. But yeah, I didn't like think about it going into, you know, I I was more like thinking from a personal standpoint than like, I just want to set the record or something like that. But yeah. What was, I mean, the mood itself amongst the team, like one thing we talked a lot about during the games and we talked to Casey about was kind of, you guys always look like you're having fun. You're doing some great stuff on social media and kind of putting out some fun videos and even throughout the games and everything, you guys just always look like you're having fun. So, I mean, is it, is the Australian cross country team just the fun team of the Olympics? Not to take away from all our other great teams that we had at the Olympics, but I swear the cross country team is just, that's where the party bus is, right? We certainly tried to be. Yeah. We, we actually like, cause I did like an Instagram takeover beforehand and we were like, all right, we're going to like make it like, we were going to make this like the coolest, you know, like <laughs> make it look like we're having the most fun, but we were also, like, we, we kind of do have the most fun. Like we had a really good team atmosphere. And I think COVID like really bonded us this year because we were stuck in this house together. And it was like, we can't go see anyone. Don't like talk to anyone because we can't get COVID because we're all going to get COVID and no one's going to the Olympics. We're all just like, all right, buckle down. So we spent a lot of time together Um, but it was fun. And like, we do have a really good time. It's a really good atmosphere. Um, there was not this like weird competitive thing where people are like out to get each other. Like we're all really good friends. And, um, I mean, I've been traveling with some of these athletes for like eight years. And so I know them very well, like Casey and Phil, like we've been doing this for ages together. So I think, yeah, you end up, you end up like, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't be doing it still if they were like horrible people. So, you know, (laughs) Maybe that's generally, generally how it works. I think sometimes <laughs> with these things, yeah. hopefully you, you'd want to want to think that way. Let's learn 26 facts about Birmingham, or as I should say, 26 facts you didn't know about Birmingham. This is according to Birmingham City University. 
so get excited. So uh, we already kind of knew part of this one. Number one, iconic brands, Bird's Custard, Cadbury Chocolate, Ooh. Bourneville Drinking Chocolate, HP Sauce, and Typho Tea all started in Birmingham. Well, Cadbury's with a Cadbury factory two minutes from my house right now. So um, there you go. There's we have the Cadbury's Chocolate raining everywhere. Um, Birmingham has the largest public library in Europe. Ooh. <laughs> What are they, Colin? Books. Um, uh, it is the youngest city in Europe, with almost 40% of the population being made up of under 25s. I'm sure every single person in Birmingham under the age of 25 is like, bloody hell, the Commonwealth Games are here. Let's get started. Um, the anchor of the Titanic was made in Birmingham. That was served a purpose. Um <laughs> The jewellery quarter in Birmingham produces 40% of all jewellery in the UK, the highest concentration in all of Europe. Birmingham is the birthplace of the Balti and home to 100 Balti houses, whatever that is. Um, Apparently, Birmingham is the most Michelin-style restaurants in the UK outside of London, home to Europe's largest urban park outside of a capital city. I love all these asterisks. We have the largest... National Park in all of the world, except for the capital cities. <laughs> you can get to 90% of the UK from Birmingham in under four hours. That's a fact. <laughs> oh, fun fact. I can go anywhere else in less than four hours. That's probably something <laughs> negative. So, well, fuck, I'm in Birmingham. At least I can be somewhere in less than four hours. Um, Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery has the world's largest collection of pre-Raphaelite paintings. There are over 50 festivals across the city. Cool. The Birmingham Hippodrome is the UK's biggest theatre with 520,000 visitors a year. The first working steam engine was built in Birmingham. Birmingham was home to the great scientists inventors Matthew Bolton, James Watt and William Murdoch, leading Birmingham to be the first manufacturing town in the world. There's a crater on the moon called Birmingham. Cool. <laughs> Birmingham chemist Joseph Priestley discovered oxygen. How do you discover oxygen? <laughs> I got an idea. What we am I breathing? Really breathing. <laughs> Prior to 1774, nobody breathed <laughs> until, until Joseph Priestley was like, oh, I breathed oxygen. <laughs> what the? F- I should I sell this stuff. <laughs> I think you're full of yourself, Birmingham. <laughs> we invented <laughs> oxygen. There, there was a well, that should be in the opening ceremony. Everybody breathe. All right, thanks to Birmingham, you can do that. What the fuck? Um, there was a point when three quarters of all pens in the world had nibs made in Birmingham in 1874. <laughs> Tourist mecca, Birmingham. The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings are based on places and people in mostly where author J.R. Tolkien lived. Uh, cool. Um, Perry Bar was home to the world's first ever Odeon cinema in 1930, standing for Oscar Deutsch Entertains Our Nation. Birmingham was the birthplace of heavy metal. What? With the likes of Black, <laughs> Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, and lead singer Led Zeppelin originating from the city. So we're going to have like a, a metal... Concert featuring ELO and Cadbury's while everybody breathes <laughs> and they drink custard. Um, the street, I've heard of the streets. The streets, UB40, Wizard, Laura Maval, and Duran Duran also. Duran Duran! <laughs> yes! I'm excited now. Thomas the Tank Engine was invented in Birmingham. Wait a minute. Oh, man. Why is all of these ones at the bottom? These are the interesting ones. <laughs> 
Uh, tennis was invented in. Why isn't tennis a sport? Uh, there are more canals than Venice in Birmingham. We're going to have double take pigeons, Colin, and hovercraft. <laughs> the first ever hole in the heart surgery was carried out in Birmingham Children's Hospital in 1950. The FA Cup was made in Birmingham. Like, okay, you bury the lead here. Uh, Birmingham City, you've got like, oh, 90% of Birmingham can be, you know, you can leave Europe and whatever. Like, Thomas the Tank Engine, Duran Duran, <laughs> tennis. Like, this is incredible. I'm more excited all of a sudden. What, what, what's the opening ceremony going to be like now, Jared? Brum versus this Thomas the Tank yeah. Engine lawn balls. <laughs> the expectations are really high now, so uh, you're setting them up for disaster. <laughs> I want I want Metalhead Brum chilling out to Metalhead <laughs> Thomas the Tank Engine theme. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, um, Hungry Like the Wolf plays in the background. <laughs> I go to Rio plays like, God, Duran Duran, the Simon <laughs> de Bont, whatever his name is, is he going to be there? Like, Jesus Christ. Um, wow. Lock, lock everyone up. Birmingham's in town. Yeah, it just it just worked. But like the bull, can we just talk about the bull? Yeah. Wow, Colin, you the- start this time around. That bull, oh my god. Yeah, and, and I was expecting like, okay, the bull's gonna be over and done with within five minutes. I'm like, wow, this is spectacular. But watch, they're gonna move to something else. They found a way to keep the bull in the stadium. Like that's the best yeah. thing. And I don't know how much. I mean, we didn't have uh, the CBC commentators on this one. I saw the BBC feed. And they were just going on and on about the bull. And then anytime they they did like little interviews and stuff like that. The people, like the, the athletes they were interviewing were going to be like, I think one of them even said like, yeah, the second that everybody's back's turned, I'm sneaking that bull out these back doors and I'm taking it home. Like <laughs> everybody's in love with this bull. And, and if you look up all the reviews of the ceremony, every single one mentions the bull. And I can't remember the last time that there was a ceremony for anything where there was one focal point, maybe Muhammad Ali, <laughs> Atlanta. The, the last time there was like a positive though positive but like to have one big talk about like that's what people will remember you you can have like the drums in beijing yeah but like it's been probably that long since there is like a single focal point and they knew obviously going in this bull is going to be the showstopper and it was and it's not a thing where people are like oh yeah that bull was kind of cool like people are in love with this bull i mean when the commentators were finishing they're like and there it is the close or the opening ceremony the commonwealth games but 100% the highlight has to be the bull. <laughs> they could not shut up about it. And that's a good thing. You finally have something that 20 years from now, people are going to remember. But this bull also had a story arc. It came in, it was angry, it had red eyes, it was like, grr. And then all of a sudden they went through the history that obviously Birmingham was a bit racist, but that they were trying to change. So then there was the happy bull. And then they got angry again and it bled. The poor bull bled. There was dripping blood. I was like, oh, no, don't kill the bull. There's a lot of beef going around for the athletes. But no, bull, poor bull. And then the bull got involved. A showdown of bull and giant Thomas the Tank Engine in the closing ceremony. Like, bring it back. (laughs) Don't Give us a custard. fight. <laughs> yeah. Like, just custard fight with Bull and Thomas the Tank. I'd like, you know, like I, I was just like, oh, you know, no Bing Dwen Dwen. But I mean, this bull's already better than the, what the hell is oh, the yeah. mascot called? Benny the Bull or whatever the freak that other, the, the real <laughs> Perry the Bull. Um, You know, screw Perry the Bull. I want giant bull. <laughs> like, all the, I want I want in the lawn bowls. I want giant bull in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> bowl the bull. <laughs> 
You know, the cricket. I want it in the crowd. Cut the stick. This bull is awesome. The bull just to interrupt, you know, the 100 meter butterfly and just all of a sudden splash all the other one. And everybody else flies out of the pool. You know, you see like all these clips of, you know, oh, Prince Charles made a surprise visit to like the fan zone. Fuck Prince Charles. I want the bull. (laughs) Everyone's going like, oh, Prince Charles. I want the bull. Everyone line up. There it is. I want the bull to storm into Buckingham Palace and come out with the queen in his teeth. And be like, yeah. you're attending the closing ceremony. You're not skipping this one. <laughs> yeah, queen, lazy. All right, start the road. <laughs> we establish it's within half an hour of every single place in the world or something like that. But, um, oh, Jared, what else can we say about the bull? I don't know. I feel like it's all been said. I Even just like the hype of them bringing it in, there was like the suspense of like these like massive chains and like the smoke and you couldn't see like exactly what they were going to like pull in and like just, yeah, like you said, from just like the simple things of just like the red eye to like the white eye to the blood and like, and then re- removing like it's like helmet thing and then that being kind of like a podium, like it was just so good. And the fact that, like we said, it stayed there. It just stayed there for like the whole ceremony. It wasn't like on the stage and off. It was just there for like the whole thing. Like athletes prayed, it's still there. End of like the ceremony, it's like, it's still there. So it was just, it was such a highlight of like what also like everything around it was great as well. Did we not just want like Prince Charles, you know, I've got a message from my mother on behalf of all the athletes of Travel Journey. Fucking hell, that bull is amazing. Give it up for the bull, everyone. Let's everyone give a cheer for the bull. Um, <laughs> I, I, they had better have like the next games that the UK has. The queen parachuting in yeah. with the bull instead of yeah. Daniel Craig next time. <laughs> this is the new um, James Bond. <laughs> do you remember Salt Lake, the closing ceremony when they had the giant T-Rex heads voiced by like the Osmonds? Um, <laughs> like they never sadly took off. An underrated, uh, you know, ceremony moment. The two giant T-Rex heads from Salt Lake 2002. But I mean, I feel this bull has eclipsed the, the T-Rex heads basically uh, with that going on. <laughs> Have you heard of Cody Simpson, a pop singer? You've mentioned him, yeah. I've mentioned him. So he was like Australia's Justin Bieber for a couple of years, like Mm -hmm. about 10 years ago. I think like... Winner of the Masked Singer. I mean, that's that's more impressive, isn't it? I mean, God was on his resume. I think like he got a couple of top 10s in the US. Like he did all right. One of the girls I met in New York was a massive Cody Simpson fan. And I'm like, oh, okay. So anyway, he's qualified. Now they're talking him up as a potential medal with like... Is Justin Bieber going to be competing for Canada in four years? I mean, where did this come from, Jared? I know he was a swimmer beforehand, but no one ever knew him as a swimmer until after he was this, like, he was an annoying pop singer too. He wasn't, like, any good songs. I remember him. Yeah, it's funny. It's just so, it really came out of nowhere. I mean, it probably didn't, but it just feels like it came out of nowhere. Like, he could qualify, and then he was very much, like, on the fence, and now, like, he's got through, and he's now through to the semis, and he's power couple with Emma, like, He's just everywhere at the moment. That's right. And yeah, that's actually, that's a good point. I didn't even realise he's dating Emma. Like, where did this come from? I don't know, but now he gets to be on all, all the, like, athletes ads, like he's this big hope. I'm like, he's never won. He's never won a medal before. Why he's on he TV right now. <laughs> it's like, he's literally like, yeah, it's it's strange. Like, Colin, I'm saying this now, Justin Bieber for Victoria 2026. Well, 
No, no, I'm saying this now. I mean, the four by 100 has been decimated. Our four by 100 is now going to include Justin Bieber, Drake, and The Weeknd. <laughs> oh, wow. Throw in Alanis Morissette for the mix team. <laughs> Avril, Levine and the, Avril Levine and the diving. <laughs> well, Avril Levine's got a disease, as you always like to point out. So I <laughs> she's going to go. Um, I mean, you know, sure. Um, throw in some KD Lang, you know. <laughs> Chad Kroger for the weightlifting. He'd be a weightlifter, wouldn't he? <laughs> With that voice. Look at this weightlifting. Gonna lift it on my head. <laughs> That's how they get kids back into the Commonwealth Games. Giant balls and like pops. Like Rihanna. Like where was her cameo for mm. Barbados? Oh. Like, oh. come on. She's going to be, what's she competing in, Colin? Besides your heart. I lo- life. Life. <laughs> <laughs> Who do we want to see representing Scotland? Shirley Manson? She can, you know, <laughs> bring up the Shirley for that. Um, yeah, Channel 7's really given up on the cricket, haven't we? Because we're now uh, breaking news in the rugby. We're watching New Zealand play, is that South Africa? Sri Lanka. Oh, traditional rivals in the rugby seven, Sri Lanka versus New Zealand. Oh, wow. If this isn't like 100 nothing by halftime, then <laughs> I don't know rugby. Um should mention uh, Linton Phillip commented on our uh, post during the oh, week. I thought you finally Linton. discovered who handed the baton to Charles. <laughs> it's probably Linton Phillip. <laughs> um, <laughs> comment on our post. She said, "Love your." Well, she said, "Love your podium. Thank you. It's brand new. Would be great to be more positive about the event, though." Well, I, I think we've done a very good job I, in this episode. No, I, I wondered about that because after that uh, preview episode did came out, I read that comment. I'm like, did we say anything negative? I'm pretty sure we were very positive about it. I were having a bit of fun. We'll take uh, just the usual bagging just up the grits, you know. Yeah, just, I mean, <laughs> but they proved us pitch. wrong. They needed that. They, they yeah. needed that. They it's needed the reality it was, check. <laughs> it was us that pushed mm. them to the success in the opening ceremony. Yes, that's why I'm calling this right now. Paris 2024 are going to be the best Olympics of all time because of all the shit that I gave them for about three years. So, like, you, you watch know what them they did? Ha ha! Ben, what us? We got to put on their best opening ceremony. The organizing committee was just like sweating bullets listening to our preview episodes. Like, oh, oh, they're on to us. We're shabs. What do we need? A bull. What are we going to say if we put a bull out there? Nothing. Nothing. With, Off the podium, with, we're giving you a bull. Try to criticize us then. We're so influential. Like we talk about this curse about not winning like gold medals and that all the time. But hell, we produce great openings. So that's it. You're on notice, Brisbane 2032. If I do not see Kieran Perkins falling over and Stephen Bradbury lighting the thing, I am going to, like, get extremely pissed off. And New Zealand have already scored a try. Of course I have. Um, But, (laughs) yeah, opening ceremonies, you're welcome. I'm I'm just trying to decipher here, need 52 more for 40 balls. Am I ever going to understand cricket here? (laughs) What does this mean? So 40 balls basically is like the equivalent of 40 pitches in baseball. Like, so 40 times you throw the ball. If you watch it when one of the women comes in, she like overarm and like throws the ball towards the batter. That is a a ball or a delivery. So she's Mm. got 40, they've got 40 more of them to score. So that's Australia's in a good position now. 52 runs of 40 balls. Which you can get by running or hitting it over the boundary or to the boundary. This is what we need. I just need you guys on the line anytime I watch cricket because I've already understood more in this conversation than I have in the last five years trying to watch it. So you said before the number was like five for 80. What's the number? Is it still five? Wow. Six. 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 Oh, we've got it. 
In the bag. Oh. You got it? What were you worried about? It. <laughs> 52 or 40, that's easy. With six, with your four, like if you were nine for like, and you need, yeah, maybe screwed. But, and oh, by the way, New Zealand are just about to score another try. So, um. was, is it Cody, Cody Simpson is now at bat here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <in> cricket. <laughs> she's looking good, Cody. Uh, <laughs> she's doing, uh, she's doing very, uh, very well. It's just, it's, it's weird. Yeah. And I mean, you think of like the other one. So what's uh, Maddie Wilson, the one that's up and coming now, and she's getting a bunch of attention now and, and Molly O'Callaghan, you know, a couple of others, you know, it's, it's great. It's stacked, but then even on the men's side of things, I mean, do people even realize that Zach Stubbley Cook is an Olympic gold medalist? Like he barely gets a mention. This guy's an Olympic gold medalist because all we're hearing about is fucking Cody Simpson. I'm sick of it. Your music sucked. You didn't win anything individually, and now you're doing Emma, Emma, and now poor old Kyle Chalmers getting dragged through the mud because he used to do Emma. I'm calling it now. This Cody Simpson swept in. Oh, I'm a pop star. Oh, look at this. And Emma's like, ah, and she's gone off. And poor old Kyle Chalmers. I feel sorry for Kyle Chalmers. Fastest man in the world getting bloody's heart broken. Leave him alone. Leave Kyle Chalmers alone. Colin, do you know what we're talking about? <laughs> I know who Kyle Chalmers is. I, <laughs> the so rest what, of it's uh, all. <laughs> what Cody Simpson single is uh, is closing out the show. Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm not playing that shit on this show. We want to retain our award-winning status, don't we? Um, basically, obviously, Emma McKean and Kyle Chalmers used to be a couple. And at some point they broke up. And now the biggest couple in Australia is Emma McKean and Cody Simpson. And Cody Simpson basically gets all the attention because, oh, he's like Justin Bieber, but now he's in the pool. And then essentially there was a press conference during the week where everybody was just basically ragging on Kyle Chalmers because there was supposedly leaks about how he's not getting along with Emma and there's, you know, disdain in the swimming camp because of this weirdness. There's like a triangle going on. And basically Kyle Chalmers is basically just like, just shut the fuck up. I'm sick of these questions. I'm like having a mental breakdown. Like this is the hardest point. Like I feel so bad for the guy because literally all the media – is just concentrating on the fact that, oh, he might be jealous. It's like, well, probably is, but who cares? He's winning fucking medals. So, like, what the fuck does it matter? This this also seems, it seems to be a celebrity thing too, where it's a little bit different. If it was like, oh, well, you know, they broke up, but she's Mm. immediately hooked up with Cody Simpson. But if it's something where it's like they legitimately broke up and then, okay, she's got a new guy, like, it, it, the media will always jump over though. I bet you that the, the ex is jealous, but you know what? If, if you actually break up with somebody and there's not another person involved, if it's not like, you know, an infidelity thing yeah. within a week or two, you're like, I could care less, you know? <laughs> so I, chances are he just couldn't care. And now he's just tired of hearing about it. Right. Yeah. Just like we're tired of Cody Simpson, right? Jared. <laughs> <laughs> it's not I feel like it's not a Commonwealth Games or an Olympic Games without like some messy drama with the Australian swim team, right? Yeah. There's always there's always something. Before we go into other things, uh we mentioned the creepy ball winking at the camera at the end or whatever. Like, what, where was the ball? Like I want an Aussie riding in on the ball. That that would have yeah. just <laughs> won the Commonwealth. Imagine that. Like, sure, what the fuck am I doing on this fucking ball? It's fucking moving. Like, did we meet? Did we need more ball, Jared? Yeah, I I reckon I'm conspiracy theory. I don't think the ball was there. 
I think that was footage <laughs> yeah. from the opening and like the ball I completely been agree. dismantled and then they saw like the hype for the ball and were like, oh crap, like uh better get the ball in there somewhere. We've got this uh footage that we tested of the ball winking. Yep, okay, perfect. Use that. It was really creepy though. Like it wasn't just like, you know, like the ball like happy ball or whatever. It was just like baby ball. Like, why was it so creepy? The ball was awesome in the opening ceremony. Now it was just like um, uh, Colin, did they talk about? I mean, well, I guess you had the BBC coverage. I probably, anyway, yeah. bloody hell, <laughs> Charles on the ball, the best thing about the Birmingham Commonwealth Games. I, I swear they didn't mention it at all, which is why it was so weird when it suddenly cut to the bull, which which made me think the exact same thing as Jared. I'm like, this was edited in at the last minute <laughs> because they thought they were going to be getting some criticism for not featuring the bull again. The Piggy Blinders guy sitting there going, shit, 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 everyone talking about the bull. <laughs> Quick, quick, get that random shot that we filmed. There it is. Put it in quick. Ozzy's off the stage. Click. Boom. Done. He, uh, he's already planning the next season of Peaky Blinders to come back just to feature the bull. The bull. It's this giant freaking bull. I'm just making a bold prediction now because we like to do it on, on the show. Obviously, uh, 2002 Salt Lake Olympics, the... Miracle and Ice team lit the cauldron. So in about six years' time for the LA 28 Olympics, you know, uh, potentially some of the guys, Doug, you might get the call up there, light the cauldron for the uh, 28 Olympics. Would that be something that uh, we can put out to the universe now to, to happen in six years' time? I, I, I think that's one of the best suggestions I've heard recently. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, You're welcome. Uh, I appreciate yeah. You know, the... Um, the 84 Olympics, in many respects, uh, it, it's been described this way, kind of saved the, the Olympic world. Um, they, they were honestly the only uh, bidding city at that time. Um, they, they had a really unique re- relationship with the International Olympic Committee. Um, perhaps they developed uh, the, the current marketing popularity of the Olympics and the sponsorship programs and the broadcasting revenue that has uh, grown so dramatically um, but it was a remarkable games in many respects um, uh, our team being so, so dominated by local talent uh, was just one element uh, it, it just um, it, it it was incredibly popular uh, coming uh, off of uh, the, the boycotted games in uh, in Moscow and the really I wouldn't say disastrous, but financially disastrous, disastrous games uh, in uh, in Montreal in '76 uh, that really pushed a lot of potential bidders away from the games. Uh, so it was it was sort of a watershed games, and I, I don't know that the 2028 games will be quite the same. But there's some interesting elements to those games that might change the Olympic movement, the Olympic world uh, internationally. Again, they're, they're not building a single venue in 2028. That's going to be the first time that that's ever happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think P- Paris obviously is coming up in a couple of years and, and they're going to have a pretty unique games uh, as well. But uh, Los Angeles is a remarkable uh, uh, city for the games, M- much like Sydney, I think, and London and some pretty unique locations. So we- we'll see what happens. But lighting the cauldron would be... Uh, we, we, we accept. 
Good. I don't have much sway with the IOC, but you know, there's still time. I, I, who knows where I could yeah. be in six years to help out with that. So uh, sure. you, I'm waiting you... for a call now from Thomas Bach. I'm sure that'll, <laughs> that'll come anytime. love to learn a little bit more at those 84 games. Tom Selleck. Now, uh, Sean, you mentioned a little bit in the book about him sort of being involved uh, with the team a little bit. And I'd love to hear sort of, uh, Doug, how that came about. Because, I mean, it's all well and good to look back now on Tom Selleck as somebody who is on Blue Bloods now. But for the 80s, he was Magnum PI. He was, you know, a huge star in the 80s. Not to say he's not now, but uh, obviously different times. But how do you get someone like Tom Selleck? Because it wasn't just a case of, let's get a Hollywood star on board, was it? He was actually... A volleyball player, I believe. So, uh, I mean, Doug, tell me about Tom Selleck and did he help? Did he help you win a gold medal in 84? You know, uh, you, you could write multiple chapters about Tom Selleck. First, he, he was uh, just a wonderful human being. He did play volleyball. He played it seriously. He was a good athlete. He was filming his uh, Magnum PI series during those years in Hawaii One of our coaches, uh, Tony Crabb, was uh, uh, a Hawaiian native. There was a a connection. We were able to make a contact. And he was was receptive and eager to help a national team, an Olympic team, and and especially one that he he played. He played uh, in senior volleyball at at that time, and he was a good player. Um, And he did some almost anything that we asked of him. And he loved the connection of being around, you know, this group of, of athletes. And he was at the Olympics. And uh, my recollection is he was at every, every match and uh, including um, visiting our locker room uh, before the gold medal match against Brazil. And one of my, one of my recollections is, um, so this is, you're playing for a gold medal and, we had lost to Brazil earlier in the tournament and uh, we're at home and, you know, 14,000 people. And uh, anyway, and, and Tom was invited in and he was really nervous. Uh, this is one of the biggest stars in the world at that time. Uh, and, and as you say, still a big star, but at that time he was really like a sex symbol. I mean, he was, just about as popular as you can imagine anybody being. His show was one of the top rated shows, maybe the top rated. And he walks into that environment. And I remember Bill and a, a couple of players had to sort of pick up the context because he, he really didn't know what to say. Uh, it was an interesting juxtaposition of, of most of us would be sort of tongue-tied and not sure how to act around him in his environment <laughs> here he is in our environment and and just as i don't know feeling maybe a little bit out of it but he was just wonderful he allowed us to uh, make a couple of posters uh, that we sold and kept the revenue for which was significant for us at the time and in addition we we played some exhibition matches with his senior team against a group that we put together we played one in San Diego that I remember particularly a couple in Las Vegas. Uh, he, he just gave of his time 
to be connected to this team to assist us in almost anything that was reasonable that we would ask for. A, a, a wonderful down to earth, terrific guy. His son had played some volleyball at USC. So he, he had a connection in a couple of different ways. Um, I, I can't say enough for, for how much he helped us and how much credibility he, he gave at a time when the sport broadly needed it in, in the United States. Um, so it, it was a, just a, some terrific memories of his involvement. Did you ever try and sneak in a cameo or Magnum PI or did he ever like ask, you know, like, I mean, Chris obviously was a bit involved in Hollywood, so I don't know if like that helped him get a, a walk on role on Magnum PI at all. You know, I haven't talked to Chris. I'll have to, I'll have to talk to him about that. <laughs> but I, I, I remember one, one time we were in Las Vegas uh, and we played an exhibition match. Tom was there. And after we finished the exhibition match, which, which was terrific and, and helped us raise some much needed revenue. <clears throat> but the most important thing was the exposure. We went to one of the casinos. Tom was so popular that when he went into the casino, they had to rope off an area around, I don't know, the roulette table or the craps table or wherever we were playing, honestly, to keep him from being mobbed. Wow. And we were all invited in. It, it, it was just wonderful to have the these sort of juxtaposition experiences. We were in his world some, he came into our world some. Um, just a, a, a wonderful down-to-earth guy and and helped us immeasurably in, in so many ways uh, in the lead up to the 84 games. And, and in fact, at the Olympic uh, tournament in Long Beach. I wonder who they get uh, yeah, to do that in 2028. Yeah. Tom Cruise, post uh, Top Gun fame. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. How yeah, that... He's got some volleyball <laughs> background there in the, in the original uh, Top yeah, Gun. Yeah, huh? exactly. Yeah. Not sure how that, sure. that works. thing about 2016 you compete in four events in alpine then you also compete in one event in freestyle end up winning a bronze medal now it's crazy to think that you can do that uh, i mean i don't know how often this is something that alpine and freestyle skiers mix over i mean we're big fans of esther ledecker on this show mixing skiing and snowboarding but it's sort of a case of I would think this would be something that would be more common than a snowboarder and a skier kind of crossing over i mean how do you make that decision is it a case of you just you got selected for all the events so why not give it a crack and you end up winning a bronze in freestyle not alpine so I mean, yeah. how did that feel that you kind of won the medal in the one that you don't really concentrate on much i think it, i think it was probably bittersweet irony in 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 some respects you know i i think I, I knew i was going there for the focus of alpine um and that was still where i was you know most passionate and still am most passionate about and this, the being, you know, selected to and being able to compete in the ski cross just seemed like something, you know, fun to do. And, and, you know, I may as well do it if I'm there. Um, and it, and it just, it, you know, there is a, quite a lot of still crossover with the, with the ski cross, you know, it's still, you know, on the same equipment, you're still, you know, competing, um, you know, racing down the hill as fast as you can at some rate. And, you know, it's just that little added fun of, you know, competing against others, at the same time in ski cross, which is, I guess, different. Um, and I, and it just seemed like a lot of fun to me. And I think that's probably in my mind, why I did so well is because I just, there was no pressure in for me in my mind. It was just having fun. Uh, you know, it was just a bonus for me at that point. So I was like, why not? 
you know, go out and, you know, see what I can do and see where we get to. And, you know, when it came to the finals and I was sitting there in the finals, I was like, well, you know, this is a win <laughs> at any yeah. <laughs> You know, it's a win at any rate, you know, whether I come down first or I come down last, I'll take it. And, um, yeah. and I think, yeah, I was just so happy to be there. I wasn't ever thinking about the result or thinking about, you know, what I needed to do to capitalize this, uh, you know, opportunity. It was just like, okay, just go out and see what you can do and see where you end up. And you created history, Louis, because you were Australia's first ever male Winter Olympic Youth Bronze Medalist. To this day, still, Australia's only ever Winter Youth Olympic Bronze Medalist male. So there, we there go. you go. Put that on your LinkedIn. Um, Try. <laughs> <laughs> Another one for the resume. Which, is it something then that, is I mean, has anyone done it? I don't know if anyone's ever like crossed over with ski cross and at an Olympics, like at a, at a full Olympics. Because I mean, as you say, they're kind of. I feel they're a lot more connected, ski cross and say a, a, a ski racing in Alpine than snowboarding and, and skiing. So I mean, is it something that's been done, or could you have done it at Beijing, like if you were competing in both circuits? I don't think that it has been done. I I could be wrong, um, and I might be wrong, but I. I don't, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's possible at, at Beijing. Um, obviously, you would have to be doing, you know, both circuits at the same time. And, and there's obviously the the qualification requirements in, in both events um, that you need to hit. But I, I, I'm sure, you know, there is a lot of, a lot of the, you know, male athletes, I know at least in ski cross nowadays, come from a background of alpine skiing. So I think, you know, there is for sure that, that, possibility of crossover it just depends on you know if you if you see yourself having the the time and capacity obviously you know it's always about how how thin are you going to spread yourself across you know so many disciplines before it becomes too much i guess yeah because i know obviously jenny owens was an alpine skier and ended up going to olympics in in freestyle but it's just it's at that same games because like that, that's just such an amazing achievement to think that you've gone to a youth olympics in alpine oh, i'll just give a go ski i'll oh, walk away with a bronze medal like i mean that's just okay like i i don't know if you know all of a sudden emma mckeon at the next olympics goes oh, i might try the 100 meter sprint accidentally wins a bronze medal like i mean it's just yeah. you know and it's it's a nice little achievement do, do you keep that medal like pride and place place somewhere like what do you sort of do with your youth olympics bronze? I- I honestly can't tell you where it is. I think my mom has it somewhere. <laughs> my mom has it hidden somewhere. I'm sure she'll pull it out when I'm I'm done ski racing and, ch- and tell me all about it. But uh, yeah, I think it. I don't know. I'm very much a progress driven person, so I think it's it's tough when you uh, you know you kind of you take it as a as a win at the time, and then you know I I can't say I've thought much about it ever since. Well, you're welcome um, you just kinda... today. You can bring it up. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. It was an incredible Olympics with two men in the big final. Cam got 10th place. Um, and his story is, is, is amazing because he fully ruined his elbow. Like, yeah. I think I saw the list of injuries. He did like 10 individual like major injuries in his elbow on that fall that he did the run before. And then he still pulled out of the gate in the, in the semifinal, in the small final. And um, I mean, he got last in that, but he got top 10 overall because he did that. Otherwise he would have gotten equal 16th, um, you know, and then Chumpy overshot that middle jump and went down and Jared, you know, on top of, on top of his board all day and managed to sneak out a 
amazing second place. And that kind of stuff that reflects on the whole team. It, um, you know, luckily we have a relatively large team. So a lot of our funding that comes in, we get to, it's kind of like split amongst the team so that we can go and do things that maybe we wouldn't have been able to do before. And, and that kind of result at that Olympics, it really set us up for the next four years. Unfortunately, we didn't get such good results at the last Olympics, but, um, you know, uh, there was a lot, we had a lot going on in the last four years, you know, between, you know, losing Chumpy, um, we had the COVID situations. I had ACL reconstructions. Bell had ACL reconstructions. It was definitely a challenging four years. Um, but we're hoping that the next four years are going to be a lot better. It, I, I, we, that was the first winter games we had covered on this show. I remember it vividly and, um, you know, thrilled for Jared, but gosh, all my two other co-hosts, we were just on team chumpy. We had chumpy on a couple of months before the games and just great interview and just everything about that and just the career that he had had. Um, so oh. yeah, it was, it was such a great final to, to see that and just, just to see him at least make a final. Cause that was what his first final yeah. at the Olympics he had made, wasn't it? In three yeah. attempts. So uh, it yeah, was he, obviously, he had a bit of yeah. a, a shock and run in the last, in the, his first two Olympics. Yeah. And he, I think he, did he do two or three? I don't remember. Two, that. I believe it's Vancouver yeah. and, and Sochi went in. I think that's when he was the world champion, wasn't it? Yeah. Going so in? he'd had yeah. a bad run in his first two and um, you know, out in the first heat qualified first in, in, um, in both, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, dropped out in the first heat. Devastating to watch on telly for me, but um, great to see him. Yeah, oh, we miss him a lot. We do. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's still hard, hard to believe that uh, he, he's mm. he's no longer with us. Which obviously, I can imagine, still for you guys, is still very, uh, very hard to sort of comprehend because he, he just seemed like such a presence to all of you, no matter you know how you were competing, and always seemed such a such a help and. I can imagine without yeah. his influence, I mean, the sport itself, I mean, probably wouldn't be in the position it is today. Yeah, no, he was a very, he was once in a lifetime kind of bloke, Chump. He, um, I don't think I ever met somebody that didn't like him. Um, mm. And, you know, I didn't know this, but I, I like, um, I knew he, had, he, I knew that he knew a lot of people, but after he passed away, just the overwhelming amount of people that just knew, like, had known him, you know, it had an effect on their life. It was, it was crazy. And um, I think that pretty much the entire snowboard cross industry in Australia has, you know, a debt to pay to him that they probably will never be able to because he's the one that pushed the sport in Australia and, and he's the one that made like young kids like me want to want to do it. And, um, you know, I was lucky. I was lucky that he, he ended up, I, I managed to be, you know, all three stages of a chumpy fan. And I was, um, he was my idol when I was growing up. He was my coach at some of the futures programs that we do where the young kids get to meet the older athletes. Then he was my teammate and then he was my friend. And, and I feel pr- really lucky to be, have been able to know him so well and hang out with him. Got so many stories to tell that I probably won't tell. Might, might drag his name a little bit. Uh, really good stories, though. You know, <laughs> some night there's out, a book in some there. nights out on tour. That there's we, a tri- there's a yeah, tribute yeah, chumpy a book, book I think sure. you guys need to write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, just so lovely and you know so welcoming too. Like, yeah, a little nervous kid, little shy kid joins the team, and he's all 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 about it. And 
yeah, awesome, awesome bloke. aspect kind of uh, goes all right for you because I believe you're a national champion in roller skiing, Sevi. Yeah. Which, I mean, I didn't even title. know it was a thing until I did this research. So, I mean, <laughs> uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, national champion in roller skiing? How does that How does that feel? Big achievement, do you think, Ben? Yeah, oh, huge. I think like that's – we yeah. should cancel this interview about cross-country skiing right now and just talk about this you know, I national thought that's what this skiing. was. Yeah, yeah. oh awkward. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, let's 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 start it. We're only like fifteen minutes <laughs> in, so we can just quickly well, we, yeah, we uh, worked our tag. way. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I can't remember the moment when I learnt that roller skiing was the main form of training for cross country skiing. I think it must have been when dad um bought these things called skikes. Um I think I was in year eight and they were these sort of like rollerblade bigger rollerblade things that you can wear with your normal running shoes. Um, and I put them on and I did a lap around the tan in Melbourne um, mm-hmm. at like 6 p.m., so peak hour. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was just, yeah, overtaking, skiing through these people. And at the time I thought it was great, but, um, yeah, soon realised I probably don't want to be doing that um, all the time, <laughs> especially now. I'm not going to put the skikes on and <laughs> just do laps of the tan. Um, but yeah, they were. I mean, it was quite fun. Like um, rollerblading is fun if you've tried that. I think that's semi mainstream. Um, and yeah, roller skiing is a lot, a lot the same. Um, and nowadays, I've got maybe eight different types of roller skis. Wow. Um, and, yeah, it's the main training form. So we just head out on the bike paths and the roads um, here in Canberra. And I used to do it a bit um, when I was at school in Melbourne. Um, still get comments from the tradies asking where the snow is. <laughs> <laughs> you got, there's got to be some sort of comeback there it's like I don't know yeah. just be wearing your Olympic tracksuit or something like that like shut <laughs> the fuck up mate Olympian here come on <laughs> national roller ski champion like get exactly. back to painting your house <laughs> yeah no, I definitely have had time to think of um, comebacks over the years um, <laughs> I don't know if you've got any uh, off the oh. top of your head yeah we have to I, think I, of some yeah I like to think that I, I look professional enough that um i don't actually get that many comments while i'm roller skiing which um because I, I don't actually get that many comments these days um uh, but yeah the most jarring one i've ever got was um me and my brother were like roller skiing um out near stromlo and these guys like in a big van like just wound down the window and just started like going like ha, 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 just like a sort of loud laugh and then they just kept going um, and we were just like, what was that? It was quite <laughs> weird. Um, but, yeah, I'd, my comeback would probably be um, to say like, wh- like, what was that? Would you like come out of your car and <laughs> yeah. come over here and say that to my face? Yeah, and you ski off. Yeah, no, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, catch me, come on. <laughs> yeah, catch me. <laughs> I hope that's not like Rowan Browning or something who's going to like sprint after you and probably catch up to you. But like, I mean, you know, I could guarantee yeah. you probably beat nine out of ten people in that situation though. <laughs> <laughs> feel like you're an olympian is it when you're announced when you arrive in china your first race when you when you leave i mean kind of is there a moment where all of a sudden it clicks that i'm an olympian yeah i think um i think there was maybe two moments um for you uh, that are quite different um the first was walking down the ramp into the um for the opening ceremony into the bird's nest stadium. And it was just like an incredible, surreal moment um, with these massive rings suspended over the stadium. And um, there was, there were actually quite a few people in the stadium and it was super loud. And um, yeah, it was, that was really cool. Um, And then the second moment was maybe a couple of days later. Potentially after I'd already done one of the events, I was just sitting in the bathroom, like on the toilet and just looked at my jumper and the rings on my chest. And then I just thought, oh, that's me. Like I'm, I'm wearing this, wearing the rings and, um, while taking the dump. <laughs> the most inspirational one you've ever had in your life. <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty inspira- inspirational moment. <laughs> I love that. That's you're the first person ever on this show to admit that that's a moment you realize you're an Olympian in that exact moment. That's um, yeah. Wow, that's the most inspirational mm. poo I've ever heard about. So Which before um, then, um, then. <sighs> wiping with with toilet paper and then putting the toilet paper not in the toilet but in a plastic bag um, and then putting that in just a normal bin because you can't flush. You can't flush? You can't flush paper down the toilet in China. Wow. Um, Yeah, that's a little insider. I thought that was maybe an Olympic thing. Like, no, this is an environmentally friendly Olympics. But, uh, (laughs) wow, that, I mean... I don't even want to know the logistics of that. That sounds terrible. I know, <laughs> yeah. And then when we ran out of bags, we'd start like sort of, yeah, this is sort of a bit disgusting. Ah, we're an open show here, Zebby. It's fine. Let's let's learn. We'd run out of enough <laughs> plastic bags, so we'd just like leave it open and like start using the same bag. And um, <laughs> yeah, Recycling. it wasn't nice uh. when I saw Phil's like, <laughs> toilet paper in the bin. Um, Shrek's toilet paper was uh, getting a bit... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> swampy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a bit swampy. <laughs> I mean, I've got to ask, does the toilet paper have Olympic rings on it? Is everything just branded to the fact <laughs> that you go, oh, Olympic rings on my toilet paper. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, not quite the toilet. Or, yeah, not quite that. Wow. But a lot disappointing. of Disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, Disappointing. Wow. We're learning a lot here. I mean, often we do find out that our interviews can turn quite shit, Sevi, but, um, <laughs> you know, now we're, we're, we're really getting there. <laughs> I've, I've got to ask the question, though, Steph. Uh, 2010, peak 
Dale Begg Smith period in life? Did you get to uh, rub shoulders <laughs> with the man, the myth, the legend a little bit, Mr. Mr. Begg Smith? I, I did indeed, and he he is a myth, um, but he's a <laughs> but he is a legend. He is a legend. Um, we we actually ate a few meals together. Um, oh, what does he eat? In, what does Dale Begg Smith in, eat? Can you reveal in, today on the show? Do you know what? I could not tell you because I think we're also in our own tunnel vision. But what I will tell you is he was very, very kind um, because the team van forgot to pick me up one day. This is at oh, the Olympics. Wow. And he gave he gave me his van because he had his oh, own. And wow. he got he and he got me and he, it, right? and he got me he got me home one night. Yeah. Oh, so there I was you very because we we'll we, we'll have to meet at a team house for our meals. And then we would go back and, and sleep at our own team houses. So that was sort of my my one encounter with with the man, the myth, the legend that is Dale Big Smith. So it was very Which, kind of him. And I then beyond that, after that. he won his gold medal, no one saw him. No, Never to be seen goes, or heard goes from back ever to his again. Pride, but I, I think it was Sochi, wasn't it, where literally I think he basically contacted the AOC like a month before and was like, yeah, all right, I'll compete again. Like, I mean, it's just like, it's just, that's what he does. And I don't think he's been heard of since Sochi, to be honest. He texted, um, what's his name after Beijing to say good job in the, in the moguls final. But, um, I think that was the only time anybody's heard anything about him in the last uh, eight years, which is incredible. Quite upset. I haven't had an invite to the island, to be fair. Right. I know. We, we, yeah, every time we, we get Brit on, we ask her about it. Like, Brit, come on, you got to know, right? But I mean, this is Australia's equal greatest Winter Olympian alongside Tora Bright. And yet, you know, he's just, he's off on an island somewhere, counting his millions. Why not? P- part of me admires that about him, though, because he was so just in his own world. But that's, I think, what made him, what made him a great athlete. So, yeah. Part of me is like, I, I don't think he felt he owed anyone anything, and he he didn't. He definitely didn't want to bask in the glory of his win. It's not his style. So he yep. literally got his medal and disappeared. That was it. He, no celebrations. Never saw him at the team house again. No one could even high five him. It was odd. It's so odd. Which it's also fascinating though that no matter who you ask about him, they've got nothing but positive things to say about him. I mean, what Britta said about him, just, you know, just amazing, you know, kindness and stories and what he's also done for the the sport of freestyle skiing in Australia since that gold medal in, and then the silver. Like, it, it's for such an enigma. He's done so much but <laughs> really doesn't really ask for much in return. He just does his thing and he's like Superman, comes in, saves the day and goes back to Krypton. That's it. He's the introverted enigma. That's yep. it. That's, yep. that's that's who Dale is. It's you got to love that about him. Oh, indeed. I, I, he'd probably come back for, for Milan. He would just be like, oh, 20 years since I won gold. Let's give this another crack. Why not? You know? <laughs> like I in Italy would, as well? Like, come on. I would love to see that. Oh, he's still young. He's, what, you know, not that old. So I think he's got another one in him. So come on, Dale. You're probably listening eventually somewhere. The the thing I find fascinating about If you're about out Boyd, there, Dale, if you're out there, come on. Oh, if you need, he's our, he's if our number one with a, a bullet, our number one dream guest. So, uh, you know, just, just saying that, Dale. Malcolm, just quickly, just on everything that Cliff was saying, I mean, Cliff mentions about sort of it was a 10-year journey, but, I mean, I would flip that aside and go, it's incredible you can have an accident like that and then less than 10 years later compete at an Olympics. I mean, witnessing his journey from that period to the moment he's sort of talking about there getting to Atlanta, I mean, 
did, were you confident that this was something? Knowing Cliff, sort of getting to know him over those years, were you confident that once he set himself at those sights that he was able to achieve that? And what was that moment like when you saw him make the Olympics after everything from that first moment to then seeing him walking out there in, in Atlanta? Uh, uh, talk about a rush. It, it really is a rush. Uh, but what really happened uh, is it's not exactly as, as uh, maybe you would think. But um, I kept leaning on him to get, you know, uh, to start working out, to, to go from the bed to the wheelchair, from the wheelchair to parallel bars to start walking. And then after a while, uh, I don't know, Cliff, maybe you remember, but maybe, you know, three, four, five months or so, I would see you from time to time. And then I totally lost track, totally lost track of Cliff. And 10 years later, 10 years later, uh, not even thinking about it. I mean, you know, it was the time of the Olympics in Atlanta. And uh, my phone starts ringing um, here in Los Angeles. And uh, people are calling me and say, now you got you to gotta turn on CBS or NBC. I can't remember. Turn on the TV. There's this guy being interviewed in Atlanta who's an Olympian, who's an Olympian who says you saved his life, you, you saved his legs, you you inspired him and now he's an olympian and i turned the tv on there's cliff meidel uh you know being interviewed uh, you know by all these people on a number of occasions well after the atlanta olympics um uh, and he competed so so wonderfully uh we reconnected and uh we really reconnected. i mean we were connected before but now now he's uh what uh you were 30 years old at the time at Atlanta, mm -hmm. Cliff? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then we reconnect. And um, he's, I mean, he's one of my best friends. And, and we continue to, to uh, connect, and, and I'm inspired by him. Fantastic. <laughs> Truly. I mean, just think of, just think of what this man has gone through. Yeah. Uh, forget the physical problems, but my God, the emotional problems, the cardiac fortitude that that this man has and uh uh we've taken trips together we've lectured together and uh four years later i mean my goodness uh and in sydney at the sydney olympics at the opening ceremonies as you already uh have uh have alluded to 600 um member united states olympic team votes for one person to carry that flag and who do they vote for this guy, Cliff Meidel, I mean, from Manhattan Beach, California, you talk about biceps. His biceps are between his ears. <laughs> and that's where his strength is. Uh, his, 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 his brain, his, his heart. Uh, and he's an inspiration to everybody that he talks to. Everybody. He Absolutely goes around incredible. the country. He goes around the country now, and he's, he's a... a an inspirational speaker and anybody that meets him and anybody that watches this podcast can can feel the energy that he exudes the the confidence that he exudes and uh i'm not around him enough because uh, i need i need to be inspired uh just just so much by being the bromance him. needs to always grow that's basically what it, it is right it's, it's, it it's is. i i agree <laughs> i accept it <laughs> Always a bromance. Cliff, just just quickly on that, um, I actually, being the Olympic geek that I am, I have 
way too many, you know, videos of the Olympics in the past. I have the opening ceremony from Sydney and I just watched it before this interview just to get the uh, Australian reaction of what they were saying about you as you entered the stadium and our commentators were, you know, obviously telling the inspiring story. So it was, you know, being told here in Australia and everything as well. But I mean, I, I can imagine we could sit here for the next hour talking about what that's like to walk in that stadium. But I mean, just that honour of being voted to carry that flag. I mean, is that the moment in your life that stands above many of, of kind of, you know, almost like the biggest honour and going back to what we're saying, from where you were staring at your your exposed bone essentially to all of a sudden walking out in front of 110,000 people with billions of people watching around the world carrying, you know, the, the flag of your country to represent you in, in the world. Yeah, exactly. The most honourable time in my life uh, with that recognition, uh, definitely that was for me. I know I was kind of nervous at the time because, you know, here I'm holding this pole and I remember with the American flag, I was so proud and honored to be able to carry the flag. And I remember that there was a lot of chaos going on. And the only thing that I could think about at that time was whatever you do, Cliff, don't trip because I still walk (laughs) like Bambi, right? I still got a limp. And so I had to be very careful because as you know, there was carpet all over yeah. the, the the entire field because they had to protect the field. So there was these folds every once in a while. And, and I was thinking to myself, you know, don't do that. <laughs> and, but here I stood, I was very nervous, uh, you know, at the time, which I'm sure a lot of people are, but at the same time, just filled with all this pride and this incredible honor. And, and I was reflect, my mind was going back and forth, uh, you know, 10 years back, you know, Uh, or at that time, 14 years back, thinking about, you know, what I had gone through. And here I am with this incredible honor. I remember taking this deep breath and I ended up looking over my shoulder and I turned around and looked back. And the only thing I could see for about a quarter of a mile coming out of that tunnel was a sea of red, white, and blue. It was the entire United States delegation uh, following me in. And I was just so proud and so honored. And then at the same time, yeah, you know, I'm very thankful to uh, all of my fellow Olympians and all that for allowing me to bestow that honor. You know, I was very fortunate. Uh, I think I was the first uh, canoe kayaker to carry the flag uh, for the United States uh, in Sydney. And uh, I will always have that honor, you know, and it's an incredible alumni to be a part of. Do you get to keep the flag? I know it's probably a dumb question, but like, what happens to like? I know they put it sort of all on display, but then they come to you after the games and go, "Hey, Cliff, this is the flag you carried. This is yours to keep." No, you you have to you. Everybody meets uh, by the stage there, and everybody has to give the flag to uh, the organizing committee there, and they put it all together. So all the flags are are flying together in unity. Uh, the only thing that I kept was the uh, sash that you wear to hold the flag. So I have this thing in my drawer at home and the I've always thought to myself, maybe I should get it embroidered and, you know, Sydney 2000 as a remembrance yeah. as I get older. But the thing about it is, is that uh, I guess it's a, an extreme value to me, uh, but uh, I don't know what it is. I'd love to do that and, and put it kind of in a little bit of a case uh, so I can always remember that. But uh, for me, that was uh, pure pride and honor to be able to to represent our country. Did you get the invite, Malcolm, to go along to Sydney to to watch him at all? Or, or were you sitting on your couch? I don't know, probably would have been about like four in the morning or something for you. I can imagine watching that, uh, you know, given the time difference between Australia and uh, the US. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I was watching it and, uh, you know, cheering for everybody, really. You know, for, I mean, it's, it's just a wonderful thing every four years. But, 
knowing somebody, actually being in the Olympic Games and knowing this incredible man uh, who these with the entire delegation of, uh, of America who, who honored him with this situation of carrying the flag was just, uh, just, it's just mind blowing, truly mind I was more of a 200 meter runner more than a 100 meters, eventually tried 400 meters. Look, I was a solid citizen without being a star at all. So, um, but oh, you know what? I used the money from the store gift because the reality is it's the richest uh, professional foot race in the world. So, um, I mean, this year we get they, we cut them a check for forty thousand dollars. Back then in nineteen ninety three, uh, back before you were born, um, it was. Thanks for that. I was I was actually born in ninety three, but I'll pretend <laughs> that I wasn't. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I, uh, they cut us a check for twenty four thousand dollars, which is a lot of money back then. So I actually used a lot of that money to fund the dream. And and my dream was to be an elite athlete and travel the world. So through, you know, being a training partner of Kath Freeman, Kath would um, go to, you know, all the Diamond League meets. And then I would either, if I didn't have a meet at that stage, once you get over to Europe and Kath was really kind with her time, she'd be saying, hey, we can get you, you know, her manager would say, we can get you a lane in a, in a different race. So Catherine would go off to Monaco and run in a Diamond League and I'd go to Belfast to run in the Northern Ireland 100-metre championships. That was sort of the level <laughs> that I was uh, I was at. But, hey, you know what? I would not change it for the world. It was – now that I look back on it, um, you know, you look back and you'd physically love to be in that shape again. Um, I tried exceptionally hard, but the reality was I was nowhere near good enough. And uh, – when you're running against Michael Johnson, uh, when you're running against Linford Christie, Ben Johnson, uh, Donovan Bailey, uh, Addo Bolden, when you're in that era and they uh, are absolutely have one thing in common, that is I only ever saw their backsides, um, you realise pretty quickly that I was dealing in a very different sport to them, mate. I was just a straight-out battler. Insane. But I, I, the one positive I think you probably got out of all of that is that you worked on the Sydney Olympics with Channel 10, I believe. And I'm sure once yeah. Cathy won that gold, you had a bit of a connection maybe to get a pretty bloody good interview. I mean, did that help you <laughs> having known her for so long? Like, hey, Cathy, yeah. guess what? Can I have an interview? It's me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah well, I had the great privilege of um, – I was then working in marketing. Uh, I had a um, background in marketing. I was working in sports marketing for Oakley Sunglasses. So um, Matthew White was hosting Sports Tonight for Channel 10. This is a great lesson for kids out there. So – Working in marketing, we took over. I went to the um, the RSL, believe it or not, in North Bondi and said to them, "How about we take over the RSL club for the for two months? We'll pay you pay you some money." And we so I think I paid forty thousand dollars on behalf of Oakley to take over the RSL club for two months. Around that time, we turned it into a big beach hut. We bought the best surfers from around the world. They were all there, and we used that as a hospitality house for all of our athletes, whether it be Addo Bolden and Maurice Green. Uh, Marion Jones, you can't really say her name nowadays. Um, a lot of our cyclists, etc. We and the awesome foursome, we would provide them with a venue that if they wanted to get out of the village and meet their family, come to the Oakley house on Bondi Beach and we would have breakfast, lunch and dinner provided. We had great musical acts. It was a hoot. So that's what I did. And believe it or not, I was telling Matty White all about it and he was the host of Sports Tonight on Channel 10. And I said to him, mate, you should come here because they didn't have the rights. Channel 7 had the rights. I said, you should come and 
set up your studio here because you can see the beach volleyball, but you're not allowed to go there. Um, and he brought his producer along for the meeting, a guy by the name of Craig Reynolds. Craig might not even be aware of it, but Craig, out of the blue, listening to Matty White and I talk like you and I are talking now, he just said, instead, why don't you pretend that you're interviewing Matty White? So I go into full interview mode. And he said, I know you've never done any media before, uh, before but we're going to send a camera down and you do uh, the reports from Oakley House during the Olympics and that's wow. how I got my start in the, in the TV world. I don't get either of your hate with this at all. Uh, Jared, I do. Um, <laughs> so do you want to take this? or <laughs> If they cut this logo in half, the, the font is fine, the rings are fine. <laughs> that, whatever the, the top is is such a monstrosity. And this is similar to Salt Lake in that like it reminds me of work because I just look and I see that bottom like circle and the semicircle and I see a person and I think of like Microsoft Teams. I think of like, I don't know, ask the audience and who wants to be a millionaire? Like it's just- Yeah, I see it. <laughs> anonymous, like anonymous. I didn't upload a profile picture. So I just get this this blank little man sitting here. Um, oh, I can't I unsee that now. I can't unsee that. That is like ask the audience. That's I, perfect. I can't unsee it either, but it, I, I kind of like it more now. That was Colin's favorite lifeline on who wants to be. He fucking loved ask the audience. Now and now, not only does it scream winter, not only does it scream modern, it also screams 2006. It's kind of like Channel Nine, where the where's mm. still the one, which Colin wouldn't get. But um, it's also honeycomb. Like, does that just make you want honey? So okay, let's let's the 2006 Olympic winter emblem portrays the unmistakable, the unmistakable silhouette. That's the audience <laughs> of the mole. Antonellinia. That's exactly what I thought it was, my Italian knowledge. It is transformed into a mountain among crystals of ice where the white snow meets the blue sky and the audience at the Italian who wants to be a millionaire. Hey, it's Italian who wants to be a millionaire. Uh, the crystals come together to form a web, the web of new technologies and the eternal Olympic spirit of communion among peoples in the audience of who wants to be a millionaire. What was your favourite lifeline of who wants to be a millionaire? I personally was a bit of a, a phone a friend fan because mm, you always got some 100%. unique things. Yeah. Yeah, 50 50 yeah, you, waste. You, the phone a friend, you, you know, you get the humor there because sometimes they obviously phone the wrong friend. Yeah. 50 50 was just bullshit because literally the host every single time was like, okay, Jared, what do you think? Oh, yeah, I think it might be A and C. All right, what does it mean? Boom, A and C are the only remote. Like, bullshit. Rigged. All right, Eddie, mm. rigged. Okay, just 100%. calling it. 100%. But also, like, original millionaire is so much better than Hot Seat. Oh, way better. Like, going off on a tangent, but so much better. And also, Hot Seat kills me that, like, Eddie just gives him the answer. Oh. You, the, the, if you say oh, something Eddie. and he doesn't lock it in straight away, you're wrong. Yeah. So guess again. There was a guy who I think won a million and they basically go, how did you do it? It's like, because Eddie gives away the answers every single time. Bring back all, I'm with you. Because like, the, the beauty of Millionaire was the fact that you would be sitting there for an hour watching one person answer one question going, hmm, it might be B. But that was brilliant television, watching a person think for an hour. All right? And, and the sound effect when, oh. when like it's the end of the episode, you've got to wait till next time to see oh. if they get further. It wasn't self-contained. It was so good. If we ranked soundtrack of television shows who wants to be a millionaire top five mm. iconic mm -hmm. soundtrack i oh my god colin who wants to be a millionaire we talked about this recently <laughs> didn't we on an episode of something didn't we um yeah yeah whatever that was but um you know what was your favorite soundtrack theme from who wants to be a millionaire <laughs> 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 did canada have a version or did you just get the american version we did 
Who was yeah, your host? We did have a version. Was it Justin Bieber? Um, I don't remember. She was she was one of like the head newscasters on CTV. Yeah, we had a woman. Oh, um, but yeah, it, it was like our, our primetime newscaster. So they basically you know got the most recognizable face to do it. We had Eddie, that was when Millionaire was like a big deal. Still, Eddie everywhere still is a host of our shortened version of it to this day. But um, yeah, exactly. I, I did watch. They did that drama recently of um, the remember in the UK they had the coughing guy that. One a million. They did like a drama. Oh, yeah. Pretty good. I, I would recommend yeah, it. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. It's really good. Uh, I, I would definitely agree with it. A couple of things I'd love to touch on with any of our medalists. First of all, the medal. Matt, what do you do with it? Like, is it on display in a sock drawer? Kind of like, you know, what? What? where is the medal? Yeah, it's um, it's it's. Well, I like to hope it's still on display. Um, <laughs> it's currently back in in Perth um, at my parents' place. Uh, right. But yeah, so, so certainly straight after the games when I came back to Belgium, it uh, it sat pride and place on the uh, on the bookshelf uh, in the in the living room. So, um, yeah, and yeah, same thing back home. It, it certainly yeah, it obviously gets um watched over with a with a keen eye to make sure it doesn't go missing or anything but um yeah it's certainly just it's there for sure don't don't want to hide it um yeah it's uh yeah obviously a nice thing to look at each day so uh, yeah it certainly sits there prior to place i was gonna say a bit of separation anxiety i mean you're, you're talking to us in belgium right now i mean like on the other side of the world like i mean god i would never want to take the bloody thing off but you like do, do you call your mum and dad like can i speak to it can i see it like can, please you know i need to, i need to see my medal yeah, it's, it's a little bit like that. Um, I guess as well, like obviously after the games, they carried around everywhere from doing all the different events and, and and seeing people and, yeah, showing it off almost sort of thing. And, um, yeah, it's all of a sudden there. Yeah, I went back over, over east and, and didn't take it with me, um, obviously from a security point of view. But, uh, yeah, it, it was like, oh, it sort of feels a bit strange that it's not with me sort of thing. And, yeah, there are those days where you're like, oh, I wouldn't mind just having a little look at it and a touch yeah. and feel to to make sure it's still there, make sure it's real. Which is that fun to take through airport security? I mean, do you put it in your suitcase <laughs> or are you kind of just like wrap it around the neck so you deliberately go, oh, how embarrassing, I left my Olympic gold medal on. Oh, I better put it in the security tray. Yeah, there were there were some um, some interesting times. Um, I did a fair bit of travel just around Europe um, itself and obviously heading back home after the Games too. Um after that period that you'd go through the, I had it in my hand luggage um, and it would just be this big blob on the, on the machine. And you'd always get this random question of like, what is it? So you have to take it out and show them. And then like, once they opened up the, like the, the case, they're like, Oh wow. It's Olympic gold medal. Um, so there, there was that. Yeah. A few different uh, sides. Of the, and then I think one day it actually, went out of sight for a little while that some guy just got so excited and took it. (laughs) Um, Had to go show his manager or whatever. Um, So it was a bit like, Oh, I hope he's going to bring it back. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It was, it was quite cool to go through security and be like, yeah, it's just a gold medal. Well, not just a gold medal, but it's a gold medal. And then yeah, Yeah. yeah, pure enjoyment. You got to see on people's faces when they, when they got to see one. I always love to find out though, too, if you try and get free stuff with it, like when you're checking in, do you go, oops, my gold medal fell out. Maybe I should go in business <laughs> class. Like, I mean, is it something that you've tried to milk a little bit to get something free from it? Yeah. Again, I think, uh, I think COVID kind of hamstrung me a little bit with all that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, so there's still uh, time though, you're saying basically you've got some ideas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So certainly there was that side of, uh, and just wearing the, the Olympic clothing as well. Um, every yeah. time I checked in, make sure I had the jacket on or a shirt on or something, I had the Olympic rings on. Um, 
yeah, it certainly has helped in some sense. Um, certainly got a few few free things and a little bit of uh, help here and there um, from from being a gold medalist. But yeah, unfortunately, didn't get to didn't get to pull it out of the uh, the check in and get a free upgrade of business class or anything like yet. that. Yet, Matt, yeah, 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 yet, Matt. Yet, which you also get to be on a stamp. I love getting stamp stories. Did mum and dad rush out to Australia Post and buy a couple of reels of it? Do you still get a letter when you go back home and go, oh, shit, my face is on a letter? Like, I mean, that's that's experience like being on a stamp. Yeah, that was one of the weird ones. I think um, one of my my good mates um, just immediately sent me a message saying, I've bought one of your stamps so I can finally lick the back of your head. And I was just like, that's a little bit strange, but um, yeah, good to know. Uh, so there are some, some some funny and weird stories about it, but yeah, it's, it's cool that uh, yeah, obviously you don't receive that much mail these days, but um, yeah, the, the the odd time that someone has to send a send a, a letter or something that they all, all of a sudden send a message saying like, well, here's a picture of your stamp on my letter. So um, yep. yeah, that is pretty cool. I I really hope we can get like I'm not hoping that people out there you know, don't have the joys of being in a loving relationship. But if we get a single gold medalist on this show who can somehow work in what you just kind of alluded to on a Tinder profile, like, hey, <laughs> if you want to lick the back of my head, like swipe right. Like it sounds a bit creepy, but then you can be like, no, I'm an Olympic gold medalist, have a stamp. Like I think there could be some fun with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you could play with the words for sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know how far you could go with that. That's up to interpretation. But I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. it's that unique aspect of being an Australian Olympic gold medalist. You get a stamp with you. You went from Sochi just missing it to Pyeongchang missing it, and then you missed the five hundred. You finally get it in the silver medal. Like you said, it feels like a gold medal and everything. We always like to find out, though. I mean, do you have a special place you keep your medal? Particularly this one. I mean, one that you really waited your entire career. I mean, a, a decade of your life to get. I mean, is, is it just shoved into a sock drawer? Do you have it uh, on display somewhere? Uh, it's not on display. It's just in the living room because when um, when people want to see it, I want it to be close and not have to look to find it. But it's actually funny because in um, April, you know, like I was back from the season in March and in April we had a big party with a lot of my friends, like retired friends. We had a, a race for fun where we all raced the 5,000 meters, which went horribly for me. They almost all beat me, <laughs> even though they are all retired for many years from skating. And then we had a big party at my place and, um, you know, metal is in a case and the case is just besides the television on, on the kind of a, a shelf. And one of the guys just had his beer sitting on it, not knowing it was my Olympic medal, just put it on it. And I just ripped into him being like really mad, but I was not mad at all. I was just playing, but you felt so bad after, but I was just kidding. I really did not care. I just thought it was funny. You know, like it's the medal represents something, but the medal is just actually a piece of, of, well, it's pure silver, actually the Olympic medal. I was going to say piece of iron. It's not, it's pure silver, but you know, like it's, just a medal to me i know what it represents i know what i put into to get it and i know i have one so i the, the actual medal to me is just a medal like I, I know what i did i don't need to to show it to anybody i, I know deep down i did it because the real prize was being dwendwen that you got bugger the medal yeah. you got a being dwendwen because they were sold out <laughs> oh, yeah. everywhere you got the most pricing in beijing we're still yeah, looking exactly for <laughs> and I made the I made the mistake of not buying one early in the games because we we arrived at the games really really early, and um, 
I went into the shop and I saw it and I didn't think it would be this famous. So, and my wife is just throwing it to me. Oh, yeah, there we go. No. Yes. Is that our <laughs> first big Nah, we had, yeah. we had it before with, with Ali and Matt, but this is just even oh, better. Yeah. Like it's, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, and I, this I is made a the silver being Dwayne Dwayne, not a bronze one. being Dwayne Dwayne. Yeah, because the, <laughs> like, I mean, I think they were, they were putting people in jail for buying it and reselling it, but it was worth <laughs> so much money. That, I mean, I might've tried it. I don't know, but. Um, so and then they were gone. So I regretted not buying one, but then I won one. So it's even better. You and got the best one. That's the whole oh, thing. look at that! Yeah, Bing my daughter went on a race. I brought it back. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we Sell have that. A... <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the price going for now? Ben and I are looking for one. <laughs> How much have we got in our pockets right now, Colin? Quick, let's bid for it. You can have the silver medal. I want being Dwayne Dwayne. <laughs> All the sports that you're mentioning, obviously getting into basketball, but was the Olympics something that you sort of strive to? Is this something that you watched as a kid and thought, hey, that's something I'd like to do one day? Yeah, definitely. And specifically, I remember the moment that I knew I wanted to go to the Olympics for basketball. Our teacher was in year five or six, I think, and he was going around asking us what we wanted to do when we were older. And I said, I wanted to go play basketball for Australia. I wanted to go to the Olympics. And so that kind of started off the dream and obviously watching the Sydney Olympics was a big part of that as well. And I, our class actually, um, I remember we wrote into whoever we wanted at the Olympics and I chose basketball, obviously, <laughs> but <laughs> I chose a player, um, Michelle Griffiths at the time. And I based it, I think, on my best friend's last name, embarrassingly. <laughs> but what's funny is I wrote into her and I didn't know until last year or the year before that Michelle Griffiths, Griffiths is a maiden name. Her married name was Michelle Brogan, ah. who I ended up actually playing with my first ever um, Oceana Championship with with uh, um, Michelle Brokes. And so, wow, yeah. That's it's a pretty cool to come full circle and riding to someone at the Olympics and then actually playing with them for the first time when you represent the Opals is is very special. Which I'm sure they're getting lots of fan mail during an Olympic Games. But I mean, did did you bring that up? Does she remember who you were? I or? actually haven't even seen her um, since I discovered her her wow um, name changed to Brogan. So yeah, I haven't brought it up with yet. I'm sure she probably didn't even get it or see it or anything. But it would be funny. I, next time I see her, I will for sure. It could, be, it could be on a wall. It could be her inspiration that helped her. You never know. It could be the quite, the, the yep. quite opposite, <laughs> which yep. is incredible to think. So how tricky was it with the crash then? And maybe explain just a little bit sort of what happened and sort of how that then eventually mm. affected your performance in Rio. Yeah, so actually the crash was um, my fault which is really hard, was really hard to, to deal with. Um, so we were coming in, like it was three days before we raced and it was just like one of our final hit outs. And when you're coming into three days before we race, you do like at the time anyway, we were doing really fast efforts, not very long, just like two efforts in one session. So they're very, very much like you have to be on for that effort and you don't get very many opportunities to do it again. Like they're fast paced, race pace efforts. Um, and we're coming in for a flying effort. So we're at the top of the track, all in a line, like for a team's pursuit effort. And then you come down just before the, the bend and then you start your effort. 
it's just like the instead of starting from a standing start, you have the momentum from the top of the track. And um, as we're coming down, we're just like, you know, you get a really good run at the wheel coming down into the bend and everyone's kind of tucked in into the area position um, before as you're coming down to the track. And I I think I was, I was third or fourth, fourth wheel at the time and I remember just like tucking in and then I must have got like them, you know, you're sitting very, very close to the wheel and there was a surge um, and I just ran at the wheel. I had no opportunity opportunity no chance to move I just remember like hitting the back of the wheel really quickly and not really any time to be able to like move in there um and not hit the wheel and I just hit it and then everyone behind me went down so no I wasn't fourth wheel then I must have been third or second because everyone went over the top of me because I hit yeah so um yeah and then everyone just kind of went over the top of me and because we were going so fast you're in the fastest part of the track as well and um yeah everyone was just not in a very good way I think Nettie was the only one that didn't crash because she was on the front um but everyone else crashed pretty bad um yeah it was horrible oh I hate that still just makes me feel sick that crash I just it was one of those things and I'm like oh god um everyone was just really bad like Mel um she was like on crutches and her leg just like blew up. She had a massive hematoma and it was not great. And Amy was like really sore through her ribs. Ash with her shoulder, I'm pretty sure she did like something and pulled something really bad in her shoulder. I ended up being the one that like, I, I was really sore too, but because I felt like I caused a crash, I just was like, don't even worry about me. Like you guys focus. I didn't want to complain or say anything because I'm like, I'll just deal with it. Like I'm in pain, but I caused the crash. So yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those things. Like it was, I just hit the wheel. It was momentum. And I don't know whether it wasn't my lack of concentration or whether it was a surge through the, through the group. And I just happened to be the one that hit it. Um, but yeah, it was just not a nice feeling. And so then our, mo- like afterwards, I remember the bus trip home, I was like with our coach, um, Gary Sutton at the time, and everyone had to be like, Mel went to the hospital to get looked at. Like a lot of the girls went to the hospital just in case, just to get checked over. Um, and I remember just like, it was just so silent on the way home. And I'm like, oh God, like my first Olympics, I knew that it was a couple of the girls were thinking of it would be their last Olympics as well. So they were very motivated to race really well here. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was not great, but I think, it shows that, you know, we lined it back up the next day and on race day and yeah, did the best we could. And yeah, it shows how tough our team was. I was going to say, I mean, ultimately fifth, not what you wanted if you're going for a gold medal, but based on that crash and no doubt the the pain and the injuries that are caused to, to come away with a fifth place, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I think, like looking back now, like, yeah, that's cool. But because everyone was so focused on the gold medal, it was like to, to everyone else, it was a massive failure. So at the time it, it was not, it wasn't good. So that made it really hard. And I felt like, and all our result was like focused on the crash. So then therefore it felt like, I'm like, oh God, if I didn't do that, it was just like, I was just kicking myself the whole time. Um, but yeah, and I know everyone makes mistakes and all of that, but I just was like, 
Georgia, come on, like the first Olympics, you know. Um, but anyway, it's we've I've dealt with that now and it was a good result considering um, everything that we had to go through. Got to ask a question, Penny. Of all the honours, all the tweets, all the reaction you got to everything, have you ever, that you're aware of, known of somebody getting so angry that (laughs) somebody didn't award you something that they threw a chair? I'll just ask you that question first. (laughs) A chair? I don't think so. All right. Okay. I'm I'm here to blow your mind, Penny. I'm going to give you a bit of a background here. So on the day that you won your medal that made you the most decorated Canadian. The seventh. The seventh. Uh, this was on day nine of the Tokyo Olympics. And every day on the show, we award an athlete of the day. We like to present somebody who we feel deserves the honour of the off-the-podium athlete of the day. It's very esteemed, very, very esteemed. And we often sometimes don't like to just go for the obvious, like, oh, this person won 20 gold. Here's a, you know, we go a bit different. So on that day, Colin, myself, now co-host Jared, decided that we would, at the time, award it to a French boxer by the name of Murad Aliyev, who on that day, I don't know if you remember, he had lost a bout and was protesting by sitting in the ring and he wouldn't move. He basically, they were like, come on, mate, you've lost, leave. Jared and I loved that. We thought that was fantastic. Colin, obviously the proud Canadian that he is, wanted to put you up for athlete of the day. (laughs) Now, I've got a clip here to uh, play today, just Colin's... Very subtle reaction to you not being named athlete of the day. So uh, let's let's just see how this goes. I'm telling you right now, I want to know where that is because I want to record it and see it myself. But that's not athlete of the day. <laughs> yeah, he is because I'm giving it to him. <laughs> I miss it. Forget this. Not happening. This is not happening. I want you to see what I'm about to do, Ben Waterworth. I am pulling a Novak. Ah! This is not happening. No way is Penny not taking athlete of the day to a guy who said, watch me protest. This is a protest right here. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to sit here just saying the name Penny Alexiak until we're done. Penny Alexiak's athlete of the day. Penny Alexiak is athlete of the day. Penny Alexiak is athlete of the day. Penny Alexiak is athlete of the day. How many more minutes do I have? That's one. 44 more to go. Penny Alexiak is athlete of the day. Have I won you over yet, Ben? The good news, Penny, is he did win Jared over. I sadly didn't budge. uh, But you got athlete of the day at the end of that. But have you ever heard a reaction like that before to you not winning something? That's amazing. No, I might have to start reacting like that now. <laughs> I want to add that that for our co-host Jared swaying his vote to you, I mailed a box of Penny Alexiacos all the way to Australia. So you you oh. have been eaten. Your a box of your Cheerios has been eaten way off continent. Thanks Yay. to this. I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> and I'm just saying so he funny. literally threw a chair. Like I like, literally. Is it the chair? Is it the chair you're sitting on now, Colin? Is this? The no, thing no, no. Done? I wouldn't. Sh- I wouldn't throw this one. This one costs too much. Money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other chair is gone. <laughs> There's a level of chair throwing there, but uh, <laughs> it was it was honestly one of our uh, favorite moments here on on the show, Penny. I've never seen. Colin's a very nice man, so I don't think I've ever seen him <laughs> react that way. I, I've got to. Uh, we always ask our medalists on the show. 
what do you do with the medals? Again, you've got a couple, so I don't know if maybe you can put one in each room of the house, maybe give one to each of your family members, nieces and nephews. You've got a few. Uh, I mean, do you have them in a special place, plan to put them somewhere at the moment or just kind of working what you're going to do with them? Um, I honestly just, like, keep them all in, like, this one. Like, we got a Samsung phone in 2016 and we got, like, a little box for the Samsung phone and I just keep them all in there and then when I have like friends over or something or just like if we're all like hanging out and like I remember I have them because I'll forget sometimes um I'll just like pull them out and I'll be like isn't this weird like there's no one else with this many medals right now in Canada like that's weird my friends will just be like that is really odd that that's how it is you yeah, should it's do just that weird. at like olympic meet and greets <laughs> just like oh you've got one you've got three. Oh, i've got seven isn't that weird oh. yeah. <laughs> do you want to borrow one of mine what's gonna happen come paris you're gonna need a couple new boxes i know how big well, is this box <laughs> it's honestly it's literally like it's tiny it's like this big and i just <laughs> shove them all in there <laughs> The official mascot for the Qatar World Cup, and I'm no doubt going to butcher this pronunciation in Arabic, it's Laib. It looks like a ghost, but it translates to super skilled player. The adventurous, fun and curious Laib was unveiled uh, during the final draw last year. Uh, An animated display, the story, millions of fans, blah, 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 blah. And I can tell you here, according to this lovely little pictogram that I'm seeing, thanks to sportstar.thehindu.com, it emulates appearance as a gutra, a traditional Arab cloth headdress worn in Qatar. And I don't know if that's offensive. I've called it a ghost. But anyway, it looks like a ghost. I'm sorry, but it does. It does. Um, Creators of Lieb say it hails from parallel mascot verse. Wow. It's like the multiverse of mascots (laughs) um, that is indescribable and that his form is over. I'm sorry. That's lazy. (laughs) The creators have just gone, oh, fuck. We don't know what this is. It's a multiverse. And who knows what it is? It's mysterious. Um, It is described as adventurous, fun, and curious and encourages everyone to believe in themselves. Lazy. You've just gotten a ghost, put a face on it, added a soccer ball, and gone, ooh, mystery. Um, Colin, what do you think of Laib? Uh, Well, first thing I thought of was this Casper the Friendly Ghost uh, (laughs) with a headband on. uh, But also, as I'm looking at this closer, I'm like, I have seen that face before. Who is that? Uh, I don't know if either of you have ever seen the show. It actually made my top 50 favorite shows of all time. Avatar, The Last Airbender. Uh, This is Aang. This is Aang, The Last Airbender. It's bald. It's got literally the exact same facial expressions. Like they cut out Aang's face from Avatar The Last Airbender and put it on Casper the Friendly Ghost's body and then threw a headband on it. Wow. I I mean, I know what you're talking about, so I think I can visualize it. Jared, uh, you were a bit critical of the Paris ones. Um, Didn't quite like them as much. A bit critical. (laughs) Again. I think he made death threats against them. (laughs) Another episode. But uh, what are we thinking of Laib, the friendly ghost avatar, the last airbender? I think this kind of crosses over into territory. It's so bad that it's actually good. (laughs) Like, I feel like the one thing that you're doing when you design a mascot for the World Cup is to make sure it has, like, feet so it can physically, like, play soccer. And here there's just, like, like this thing cannot yeah. cannot play soccer. Yeah. Like I'm looking at all the past mascots and like animals, people, this, that, whatever. I was like the like one sole thing is like okay, there's a football and they've got feet so they can play the game. And here they're just like that. Nah. 
I mean, you know it shows Qatar's like hopes of winning the thing if that's what they're basing their play, their player <laughs> skills on. You know what? I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm like, not only does that have feet, I don't think there's a body. I think it's a head on top of a sheet, and the sheet seems to be kicking the ball. I'm like. If that's not physically possible. I'm really bothered by this now. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a solid point, Jared. But I mean, I'm glad you're looking at the password because I mean, I know we're an Olympics podcast and we're doing something a little bit different here, and we're probably never going to rank the World Cup mascots. But I mean, one thing I've got to say about the World Cup mascots versus the Olympic mascots, they do kind of stand out a little bit more. I mean, if you go back to Italy 1990, it's just like a stick with some Italian flags on it and a soccer ball for a head. <laughs> France 98 was just a bird. It's Woody the Woodpecker, I think, basically there. Uh, and Spain 1982 is an orange. Uh, so, <laughs> but an orange with feet. An orange with feet with a soccer ball. <laughs> and Mexico 80, is that a sombrero wearing chili um, or a pepper or something like that? <laughs> and USA 94, a dog. Uh, um, I mean, I'm looking forward to Canada, you know, four years' time. What are you going to have, like, I, I don't know, Justin Bieber? Um, just, like, <laughs> so just to have that there, the return of, uh, what is that? I thought the dog was called Stinker. It's called Striker, USA 94. How original. Um, but, yes, anyway, Laib, the, uh, oh, God, it needs feet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I might change my prediction for poor old Qatar and Group A very, very shortly. Uh, so we'll see how we go. <laughs> This is the first I've heard about that. Yeah, I, I, I'm just excited. Uh, we're only about an hour away from Qatar, or Senegal. We're going to have uh, one of those. One of those nations are are going to. Well, maybe they won't win. I don't know. Maybe it's going to be another zero zero. I've got to say, Qatar, Senegal. When you think of great sporting rivalries, <laughs> takes you back, doesn't it? To all those classic encounters. <laughs> I just, I'm bracing myself. The world will implode uh, with just passion well, and excitement. Well, what's what's going to be more tense between that or Poland and Saudi Arabia? Oh, God, don't talk like, you know, uh, one country likes to get invaded. The other, uh, is that too soon to say that? Um, you know, it's, it's funny when I'm watching Germany, Japan, I'm going like, this game wouldn't have gone down well 80 years ago. Uh, <laughs> don't think people would have cared back then. Uh, who knows, in 80 years' time, we're going to be celebrating Qatar and Saudi Arabia and Russia. Like, now, no, 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 no. You know, in in 80 years' time, Belgium and and Canada, oh, don't talk about them. Uh, (laughs) They're being banned from the world. And I mean, Australia, Argentina too, like we've we've got a history of of losing to the winners of the tournament in... uh, In the round of 16, so... If we fucking lose in the 89th minute from a fucking penalty to fucking Messi, like, I'm still bitter over Italy 16 years later, right? Like, I love Italy as a country. They've got the best cars in the world, some of the best food in the world. I'm looking forward to the next Olympics. Anything to do with soccer with that country, fuck them. I have no opinion really on Argentina. Like, they're there. Madonna was in uh, Vita. Cool. Like, Messi, whatever. Good on him. I like the uniforms. And Germany beat him in 2014, suck at Argentina. But, like, legitimately, I picked them to win, and I'd be happy to see Argentina win because in my lifetime, never seen him win. But I'm telling you now, 89th fucking minute, if there's a fucking penalty and we fucking go out that way again, nah, I'm flying to Buenos Aires and I'm shitting all over there like church. I don't know what they have, but I'm finding Messi and I'm doing a dump on his face. <laughs> I don't even I, know who I'm directing I, that to people. I, I, I just find it funny that most people feel that type of anger towards Argentina because Madonna did a Vita, <laughs> and you're the opposite. <laughs> just, 
I just, it's, it's traumatic. Colin, you don't understand what that was like in 2006. Like, fuck Italy. <laughs> fuck their soccer team. Like, they went on to win the World Cup. But the history, though, Jared, like, in all seriousness, we beat them at the Olympics last year. Just saying. Even though, of course, you know, it's not really the same. Um, and the famous one, I think, was uh, 94, for the 94 World Cup, we had to go through all the weird playoffs that you used to have to go about then. We beat Canada on penalties. And then we had to go through Argentina to try and qualify 94. And I think we did okay. We didn't lose as badly as we thought we would. But uh, anyway. Now you know how it feels. <laughs> Welcome to my world. <laughs> I'll be there. I'll be your, your, your shoulder to cry on, your, your support buddy through yes. the next four years of disappointment. <laughs> yes, yes. It's like in the AFL, like Carlton choking, missing the finals. I cried. I basically cried. And I've seen them win a, I've seen them win a premiership. I was eight years old, but I mean, I was eight. You, you know, fucking, you, you think dinosaurs are real and you're going to grow up and be, you know, Michael Jackson. Like nothing's real back then. <laughs> <laughs> your, your childhood <laughs> dreams, Carlton winning the grand final. You didn't think that as a kid? <laughs> seeing a real life dinosaur and going up to be Michael Jackson. You, you you didn't think that as a kid? Like that wasn't a common thing? Is that an Australian thing? I mean, I thought I thought Michael Jackson was going to be real and that I'd grow up to be a dinosaur. That was mine. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be Michael Jackson riding a dinosaur while watching Carlton win a premiership. Standard childhood dream. You know, like I still have that dream. Okay. Michael's gone now. Rest in peace. So I could still be Michael. Um, <laughs> well, dinosaurs too, but you know what? DNA. <laughs> Mr. DNA. The new Jurassic world. <laughs> Where did we you come from? We have cloned Michael Jackson. <laughs> He's now the Indominus Jackson. <laughs> and bingo, Michael Jackson DNA. <laughs> Thinking machine, stupid computers. <laughs> we just directed uh, CD-ROM. <laughs> We crossed in some DNA of a frog and a cuttlefish, so he looks a little bit off. What what else did you cross in him? It's classified. And he comes out, he's singing Purple Rain. <laughs> you crossed him with Prince? <laughs> what have you done? Why are, the, why are the rest of the Jackson 5 just locusts? What a disappointment. <laughs> this is a massive concert. Everyone's so excited. He's Michael Jackson. It's about fucking locusts. <laughs> <laughs> Disappointing. You bring back the Jackson Five. They're only in it for five minutes. They're talking about sliding into your DMs. Like it's just, it's not, it's not what you and expected. Not being, not being able to order a cappuccino. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what you expected, right? <laughs> I got a comment quickly on Martin Tyler. I think he was still waking up at uh, six oh five in the morning, wasn't he? Like, oh, and France have gone in front. Look at that. Like, oh my God. Like, I love you, Martin Tyler. It's time for you to go. Like, just go to bed. Like, <laughs> just like, I think it's like you've got no sleep this entire time. I know you're 77. Have a glass of milk, mate. And just like have a nice rest. You've got a 14 hour flight back to Australia. Just sleep. All right. Maybe don't wake up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wish death upon a man. <laughs> Look, he's had a good innings. All right. <laughs> he's had some good calls. I, I am I am pro Martin Tyler, but this World Cup, like like if this was a dog, like you love your dog, like you know you you, you get your dog gets to about sixteen and he's a bit slow, he's not running around like poor old Rover's not getting his bone or anything like that. He doesn't eat his meaty bites as much as he used to. He stinks a little bit more. He comes more of a burden than he does like the beloved family Rover. You're gonna 
take him upstate to a farm, aren't you? So, like, <laughs> I mean, Martin, like, come on. Come you on. just old yellered somebody on off the podium. This is a first. <laughs> and he's well, he's English. I was going to say he's not even French, but um, <laughs> might work. Uh, Colin, I mean the country, the country can suck it, but he can die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's common. That's on a t-shirt. <laughs> suck it, England, and die, Martin Tyler. Um, I don't wish death upon Martin Tyler, but knowing my track record, he will be dead yeah, by he's the end of the week. Now, <laughs> <laughs> so. Rest in peace, Martin Tyler. This time Ben's going week. to jail before the end of the World Cup. <laughs> it's going to happen eventually. So, you know, <laughs> Christmas in jail. Why not? I might have some friends. I'm going to be by myself anyway. So, at least my thing in jail. <laughs> Jared, are you busy on Christmas? Of course you are. Sorry. <laughs> you know. uh, I'll come visit you in jail. <laughs> <laughs> that's, when, that's when he's free. Always wanted to go to jail. What's this? He's, he's not going to bail you out, though. He's <laughs> just going to visit. <laughs> They got rid of that spray, haven't they? That line. Remember that magic spray they did a line? That's long gone. It was always over the players' shoes and then they get pissed off. I like that spray. <laughs> that spray was cool. Um, but now, yeah, it's the man lying behind the wall and the magical Dutch underneath it. They're like, oh, flee the flee the Dutch under the wall. Um yeah, like very Swedish of you. What was that? <laughs> the cook, wasn't it? The shit. <laughs> I had a. I used to know this girl. She was Dutch, and basically, whenever she would speak Dutch, it sounded like some mythical elf language. So I used to always be like, "Floody, floody, floody, I am a Dutch." She'd be like, "Oh, Ben, I don't speak like that." And I'm like, "Floody, floody, floody, I am Dutch." Um, so don't want to just speak like a uh, freaking what's his face, Goldman. I am, I am a Dutch accent. Isn't that weird? <laughs> <laughs> there are two things I can't stand in this world. People who are intolerant of other people's cultures and the Dutch. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on, Colin. Even you who hate the third Austin Powers movie can't admit that's not funny. Uh, <laughs> I'd have to see it again. <laughs> Jared's laughing. He likes Dutch jokes, don't you, Jared? <laughs> yeah, the Dutch are a cold Jared, race. Who does it? Who does it like oh. a good Dutch joke? <laughs> I think Jared, look, Jared's laughing is like the Collins nodding of off the podium. Oh, Jared's laughing. Let's Google Dutch what's the, joke. What's the score, Jared? You got to give us a score on that one. Four or five? What is it? Mm, yeah, around that. Four and a half. I've just Googled Dutch jokes. Now, apologies to our Dutch listeners if these are like racist and offensive. I don't know. Uh, what's Dutch party without bitter balling? A worst cast scenario. Um, I don't want to. No, oh, that's the wrong one. I was trying to find the. <laughs> doesn't want to be here. Um, I, I don't even know what the mother. I did. Jared, you're part Dutch. Do you get it? Uh, nah, <laughs> I don't get it. Why are Dutch people so tall? Shorter ones drowned in floods. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's offensive. Or that funny. seems like a Dutch joke. Two Dutch. I, I got a really that, like yeah, like like dark humor. Two Dutch. Um, let, let me let me let me give a really bad humor, one sarcasm. Um, they'll tell you what they think the Dutch. Yes, I've had enough of that. And Max Verstappen in Formula One recently. Go, uh, Colin. Look at this. This this is this is this is the worst joke I've ever heard in my life. But uh, what is the favorite city of Dutch rodents? <laughs> I don't. Amsterdam. Ooh, that's a Dutch joke right there. It's like when you say, I'm going to go to Amsterdam, we're going to have an Amsterdam good time. Um, I haven't read this one, so I don't know. Two Dutch girls are out riding their bikes and one of them suggests taking an alternate scenic route home. 
After a while, they are in an area that the other girl doesn't recognize and she has no idea where they are or which direction home is. As it is getting towards dusk, she becomes nervous and a bit agitated. She says to her friend, I've never come this way before. And her friend turns to her smiling and says, I know, it's the cobblestones. Oh, get it? That's a sex joke, Colin. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just marveling that there are so many Dutch rodent jokes because I found another one. Is this what a hamster you, jam one? Yeah, hamster, <laughs> what do cannibalistic Dutch rodents put on their toast? Hamster jam. What is it with the Dutch and rodent jokes? <laughs> lots of lots of rats in. <laughs> what do Dutch folk need for kissing? Tulips, tulips, two, two, two. Oh. <laughs> Why don't Dutch men use Drano? Because it <laughs> destroys clocks. <laughs> that one I kind of like. I shouldn't. <laughs> oh, I, I, a fun fact for you. We, we had this long going thing on this show about Hungarian people not being funny. Uh, spoiler alert, next year we have a Hungarian guest on the show. She proves they're quite funny. So um, maybe we need to get a Dutch person on the show to be like, Flutif Didi, I'm a Dutch, I will tell you the jokes. <laughs> what did the Dutch man say when he invented the Dutch oven? Now we're cooking with ass. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Oh, God. Um, anyway, uh, Dutch jokes aside. Um, predict- lost. <laughs> they lost. <laughs> There's a joke. The Dutch national football team. Uh, <laughs> better luck next year. Oh, what are they? The orange, Lars Orange, or what are they called? The Lions, right? The Orange. Very French. And I mean, I love the fact that everyone's like, oh, he's 35 and he's a cheater. Dude, I'm 35. Come on, I'm podcasting. Look how good I am. But like, it's. It's the, the one that really stands out for me is like Mbappe. Like this kid's 23, uh, you know, golden golden ball, golden boot, uh, hat trick in the goddamn final, nearly a two-time World Cup champion at the age of 23. And somebody put a stat-by-stat comparison to him and Messi at the same age, and he's actually doing better than Messi. Um, so I, I'm a big Mbappe fan. I, I think he's great. I just love saying his name, Mbappe. Like, does it sound like mm. some sort of, like, rap? Mbappe. Like, I don't, I don't know what that was. Mbappe. 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 The Mbappe bop. What was that stupid emoji bop? Like, where's the Mbappe bop? Mbappe. 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 Yeah, Mbappe. Eurovision next year, Jared. The Mbappe. The fr- French. Just stick just stick Mbappe on the stage. Like, they're just like, uh-huh, actually, this year is Patrick Mbappe. And he's just standing there and he's like, hello. I am Mbappe. Mbappe, Mbappe, Mbappe. Oh, France win Eurovision. That would work, right? 100%. I mean, they couldn't do any worse than last year. No, oh, well, uh, get him to do moustache. Oh, can we get Mbappe to do moustache? Come on. Please. <laughs> Colin doesn't even know what a moustache is. I just is. want that to be like the Olympics anthem. I know <laughs> I know it's not going to, but sure. Was it Twin Twin? Was that the name of the band? Yeah, Twin Twin. Fuck. Oh, can we just like put in a, uh, you know, um, a, 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 what do you call a campaign right now to get Twin Twin at the opening ceremony for Paris? Where, where, hello, bonjour, we are Twin Twin. Here is our hit Eurovision song that finished last, Mustache. It's so good. Mbappe to light the cauldron at Paris 2024. <laughs> 
I don't know if he's, sure. I don't know if he's, you I don't were know if, asking. Okay. Well, I don't know if he's played in the Olympics. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he did, like as a, as a younger player. I mean, freaking Naomi Osaka had she played at the Olympics before she lit the cauldron? So I don't think she had. You know, I mean, I know France have a lot of great athletes, but I mean, Mbappe, come on, the kids. I just like saying, is that Mbappe? There he is, like the uh, cauldron. Well, Mbappe saying he wants to compete in Paris, so probably not lighting the cauldron. Well, he'd be allowed, like, because they're, what's well, under 23s, but they're allowed, I think, two or three overage players. So it could be similar to Brazil in 2016 when Neymar came on board. But uh, anyway. Uh, White bear, I, at least. If I end up in Paris 2024, I'll bump into him. I'll get him to do a Mbappe rap <laughs> for us here on uh, the show. Can you just do it for him? Absolutely. Mbappe, Mbappe. Mbappe. <laughs> Jared, thank you. Uh, obviously, I, I know uh, you're at the same time as me. It's midnight. We're both going to get up for work tomorrow, right? So there's that little carrot. But um, it's been a lot of fun. So I appreciate everything you put into this show this year. You've done the least amount of work between all of us. You just show up when we tell you to. You don't do interviews. You do shit all. You rate some of our jokes. You're always busy when I want to see you. But um, you're the heart and soul of this podcast, Jared. So thank you. Yeah, no worries. I'm always here to, uh, to to phone it in. Yes. And to win everything. Oh, yeah. So how fair yeah. is that? No. Well, we'll get you on your Ozvision, Colin. Rest, <laughs> of the world, rest, yeah. rest of the world can vote next year. So um, oh, can we they? need your opinion. Is that a thing? Um, and we'll, we'll see in. how you go with that. Wow. Can we actually get you on an episode? Can, can, do you, uh, you, oh, I, yeah. you get the NBC coverage. I watched Eurovision in New York, so I'm sure you can get Johnny Weir commentator. That's actually fucking fantastic. If I'm saying right now, Johnny Weir, Eurovision, we we're missing out in Australia. So can you join us on yeah. Eurovision next year? I They had that, I, I guess, American similar version. They're doing a Canada like one next Clarkson year. Or whatever. Mm, you've got a Canadian but, version next year. Yeah, like I understand the format because even the movie didn't really give me an idea of what it was. But the American version they had, I, I have it in my head now. I'm like, this is actually quite interesting. So, yes, I will come on and be your Eurovision Virgin. Fun thing. Euros virgin. Actually, Jared, one thing that I was going to ask, because I haven't watched the American Song Contest. I've got it ready to go. So I don't know if you've watched it, but um, apparently, so I went and saw a DJ band the other week called Crystal Method. And the reason I saw that is because they do the theme of Third Watch. Really good. And when I was doing a bit of research after seeing him, he apparently competed for, I think it was Las Vegas or Nevada. I think he was Nevada's entry oh, really? in the Eurovision, the American Song Contest. So I need to watch it more. So I saw him live. I saw it's, a Eurovision person live, technically. That was that was one of the, the fun things that from what I did see is that you would see some complete nobodies and then you'd have like, I remember Jewel was mm. representing Alaska. I remember you telling and me that. Her, her song was like, well, this isn't very good. And then she basically got no votes against nobody. So yeah, there's, there's excitement when you have like big names that end up losing. <laughs> well, in Australia, we've scrapped the uh, Australia votes, haven't we, Jared? So SBS will just probably choose Montine or whatever her name is again. So, you know, but it's great, it's great talk guys. I'm glad we worked in the shameless plug to Euros. <laughs> that ding. ding. You got to fit in double R seven Oz network. So uh, James Bond, uh, <laughs> Colin to you. Thank you so much for everything you've done this year. You've actually done some work. So well done. Um, <laughs> did you do any solo? And you did do a couple of solo interviews this year did, as yeah. well. So, uh, you know, yeah, but you join me in a lot. There's a few that you've joined me on for next year as well, but uh, you, you, you've done good. Colin done good. Well done. I only got COVID well once on this show. You got it on other ones, but well done. Jared, have you got COVID yet? No. no. Show off. Yeah. Come on. Phones it in. Get with the program. <laughs> Colin, I'll thank get it, you. I'll get it the week that we're meant to catch up.
I'd been training with Vince for two years and just narrowly missed the senior team in 2017. Um, and a guy I'd raced my whole kind of age group career, which Matt Wilson, um, he made the senior team the first time um, that year. So it was also different because I thought I'd been working hard enough to get on the senior team. Um, but in hindsight, probably only would have raced one race. Um, and I got to go to world juniors and race half a dozen times, if not more, um, similar program to what I'm racing now at a world juniors. So it was, it was a really great experience. Um, but then a year on, like I really wanted to get on the senior team for the first time. And I remember trials was okay. Like it was a bit touch and go. It definitely wasn't what I was capable of. Um, so I was a bit iffy there and I didn't realize how important the mental component was going into Commonwealth games and, tried to get other people's um, mindsets and looking back now, that probably wasn't the best idea, but um, I got to Commonwealth games and I remember the heat of the two breaths was day one, session one. So first day, like it was easy because we could line up the taper right on to day one. Um, and we got there. I was swimming really well the few weeks beforehand, swimming fast at the pool. My times probably indicated like a 208 maybe, um, which would put me in the mix for a medal. So I was really excited and probably got overexcited in that regard. And when you go into a village, it's, it's overwhelming um, the first time you do. And there's lots to do. Like you can go to the bar, you can go get your hair cut, you can go to the shop, you can go to an arcade, like you can go to the food hall 24 hours a day. Like it's, it's incredible like how different a village environment is. Um, and then the buzz of everyone coming into the village is also another thing where you have all the energy of all the different countries and all the different people all of a sudden there. And that's, that's their dream as well to be there. So they're all excited as well. And you have this energy of the village. Um, and for me, I don't think I took stock of how much energy that was. Um, and I got to the race and I mentally exhausted myself. I'd swum the race over and over again. Um, and I remember diving in and, just being physically exhausted, mentally exhausted and not being able to, and being quite overwhelmed. And I remember very distinctly like looking up at the grandstands either side and being like, wow, like this is a moment I want to take hold of. I think then the mental exhaustion kicked in and I was overworked. And so for me, after that experience, I missed the final went about, I think a two fifteen. Um, so to give anyone listening context, it was, uh, it was about four or five seconds over my best. Nearly um, 10 seconds slower than your current best end. Wow, that's, that's yeah, insane. Yeah. So I was def- I knew I was capable of a lot more and so did my coach. And after that, um, I didn't really want to swim. I was like, well, I've made a senior team. I've done what I wanted to do. And I think, but I knew I was capable of more and I knew that I'd probably regret if I didn't do it. But, you know, there was, there was a good period, like a month there where I was really depressed, like, you know, and I sought help and got help, but I was just, I hated the water. I hated being around the pool and I hated like training and I didn't want to push myself. I didn't want to do anything. Um, and that's when, you know, I decided to myself, like I needed to find a psych and worked with that psych for still to this day. Um, and we worked really, we worked really well together and worked on the balance and worked on the person first approach and led me to, moving like shifting my like I guess non-swimming career to something more suited like business and psychology um 
moving, you know, my mental state. And, you know, we got to Pan Parks three months later and I saw a 2079. So seven, improvement. Yeah. seven seconds faster. I was like 0.5 over the Australian record at that time. So wow, it was a big shift um, and faster than Matt. At the time, it was the fastest textile suit swim by an Australian ever. Um, so not anymore, but <laughs> before I get into that, but yeah, like for me, that was like proof in the pudding that I could do it and I could continue to push myself. Um, and that what we were doing is working. Um, cause the hardest thing I think in sport like swimming where is that you get three opportunities a year to test yourself at mm. a race that you, all your training for the last three months is worth it you know is is working um and you know it's a stark contrast to a to a technical game say like tennis like a similar technique wise game where you can test it every other week yeah under pressure on there's always some sort of tour game basically isn't there going yeah every week so for us it's it's just a little bit different and it's not a bad thing i can never view it as a bad thing it's just different um but for me, at that at that point in time, it was quite testing because I didn't know whether it was working. Um, but then to have that Pampax success and get a silver medal, um, you know, two hundred seven nine, it was was really special and probably, if I'm honest, like one of the highlights of my career to to be able to turn around in three months from being depressed and hating the water to swimming that well. It, some some would probably look at it as a bit of kick in the guts because I would have won Commonwealth Games three months earlier with that time. But you know that taught me a really really important lesson that you need to have everything right, not yeah. necessarily everything right, but like I'm careful not to, careful to say that, but like I guess everything you can have right, your controllables right, um, and sort of be able to. Have that ability to at least work on it if, if you can't. Because, I mean, that's that's an incredible story because if you had won the goal of the Commonwealth Games, who knows what might have happened in the future if you didn't sort of have that situation where you've kind of almost hit rock bottom to, to fix certain things that have ultimately led on to a pretty handy couple of years at the time of, of speaking. We always ask our, our guests who've won medals on the show what they do with the medals. You've obviously got a few of them. Uh, I mean, do you have them on display? Are they kind of, you know, put in a museum somewhere? I mean, again, you've got plenty. I'm sure they're spread around. You can give one to all the kids, basically, Andrew. I mean, what do you do with them? Uh, well, that's that's a very interesting question. and Probably a lot of people are going to be shocked with this with this answer. Some Up until some years ago, I would say around 2012, around that time, I used to just keep them in a in a plastic carry bag, shopping bag. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> and I used to just have them in a in a drawer. Anyway, Stephanie, my my wife, um, saw this and realised this, and she's unbeknown to me she took my medals and had them all mounted and framed all in all in one frame and so so i actually have them and i think um it was 
it was something I was listening to a story. I, I'm sure it was John McEnroe was saying one of the great tennis players of all time um, that he had something that was really good and and for a, a great achievement he would always have that achievement whether it was whatever whatever it was the the award that he received he'd always have it mounted <clears throat> like the first thing that he did in the morning like if he went to the bathroom it'd probably be mounted on a wall that he would always see every time he went to the bathroom or if you're going down some stairs it would always be mounted at the bottom of the stairs on a wall or at the top of the stairs as you turn to walk down the stairs great idea and and i think that's that's a a very special way of doing it <laughs> there's there are some memorabilia things that I actually have because we go to the bathroom every day. I have those mounted in the in the bathroom in, in small frames, but not the medals. Not the medals. Not the medals. The medals. Wow. The medals are in my in my office, um, at, in my home office, and so. Fantastic. Um, and I remember when um, when I first rode world championships and went to the United Kingdom the first place that I ever stayed at was a place called Gatcombe Park and that's the home of the Princess Royal and at the time Captain Mark Phillips and they'd been successful at Olympic Games like at Munich uh, Mark Phillips had won a, a gold medal there and he had it um, the medal just mounted um, in like some glass that you could see through or perspex that you could see through both sides from both front and back, and that was in their in their sitting room, and I remember seeing that, and I'm thinking, "Wow, that's just so special, an Olympic medal." And so, and and so, it's <clears throat> for me, it's it's not something that I I I don't like to display what I've actually done and what I've actually achieved. Um, I, it's more, I just um, will have things mounted in areas that in a way not a, that are not on public display because I, I don't want to try and be more than I am. I always mm. think of myself as this kid that grew up on a farm in the country and i've just worked really hard at what i love doing and yeah it's not about this is what i've done and and i haven't written an autobiography because i don't want to um do an autobiography and say well i went to this competition and i I won there and it was really bad weather and, and it was really a great achievement. And then two weeks later, I then went to another competition like that for me is just the most boring autobiography possible. You've got um, a lot more readers for that, Andrew, than you think. You've got a copy there waiting for me. Trust me, I'd be reading that front to back straight away. Uh, thank you. Um, so at some stage, 
I will. Go away uh, to the Brisbane, uh, Andrew. Remember, Brisbane, you've got a few more Brisbane, Olympics to get Brisbane, to yet before you retire. Right. Come on, there's, there's still plenty in the pipeline. Which, it's a weird question to ask because ultimately, I'm sure you don't go into an Olympics wanting to win a bronze medal, but were you somewhat pleased you got a bronze in Tokyo to complete the set? You know, you've got all these gold and silvers. Like, ah, oh, bronze, that'd be nice. All three of them, that looks better in the frame now that I've got the complete set. You are absolutely right. I didn't want to win anything else other than a bronze. <laughs> you would have gotten the first place. I mean, the time you look at the scoreboard and go, oh, shit, gold, don't want another one of them. I've got too many of them. I'm going to slow it down a little bit. Bring me the bronze. <laughs> I, I, I'm very, very happy with a bronze from, from Tokyo, an individual bronze and a team silver. But I would have been ecstatic if I'd won gold. Chang, you know, going in with a bit more pressure on your shoulders, having won the World Cup title and having a breakout season in the in the lead up. You mentioned before about how you won that World Cup before Sochi, and oh, okay, we'll do it again. But this is a completely different kettle of fish. And I can also imagine the attention that would have brought from the media back home in Canada. You know, a little bit of extra thing there. But was it all that preparation that you were just talking about that kind of helped you put it all down on the track that ultimately led to that gold in Pyeongchang? Yeah, absolutely. And like the thing that is, you know, crazy about it and that I, you know, I feel very lucky about happening is that, you know, at the time, like that Sochi experience seemed like a terrible thing, but if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have likely discovered all of this, you know, mental side of everything, mental training. And I ended up you know, haphazardly putting together this sort of system over a few years for myself using um, meditation techniques and um, focus techniques and just kind of building this, this routine where I learned how to identify what sort of mental state I was in and then how to change it into the right mental state. And also what mental state was the, the right sort of headspace for me to be in to race. So it was sort of like this progression of like, okay, like I need to feel like this to, to perform at my best. And then, okay, how do I get there? And then how do I get there from a really, you know, difficult position? Like it's the first step was sort of, you know, clearing my mind and, and just using meditation techniques. And that, over time becomes really, really easy at home alone in your apartment to sort of enter this meditative zone state or like a flow state. Um, and so I was like, okay, like this is a good, good first step kind of thing. But the reality is I don't compete at home alone in my apartment when the things that I really want to do well at there's, you know, 50 million people watching and like, I really, really care about the result and there's media attention and it's just like so much pressure versus sitting at home alone in your apartment. So I started to kind of like ramp it up into those situations. Like I would, once I had identified kind of this headspace I wanted to be in and, and how to get there, I started to figure out ways to like shorten the amount of time it took to get into that headspace. So like, I wouldn't do a full meditation. I would just, um, 
I had some strategies to, to get into that headspace quickly. And then once I had that, I would start to do it, you know, at training, like after doing a, an all out sprint. So like my heart rate's up, got some adrenaline pumping, I'm out of breath, then try to get into that headspace. And then every time I went down the track and then I would try to, like, I did some, some funny stuff. Like I would take like three scoops of pre-workout. So I was just like feeling jittery and anxious. And like, then I would try to get into that headspace and then go down the track. And, you know, it was kind of like in that period of time. And since then too, I've realized that like, this is a thing that really successful athletes and just people in general learn how to do and, and practice. It's not like, like, I thought that people were just naturally, you know, ice cold or like really good at performing under pressure, under pressure, but it's just your typical, like everything else. Once you see that person, they're, they're at the top of their game and they've been practicing this for a long time. So it looks easy, but it is definitely something that you can work on and practice and get really good at over time. And so, you know, using all like Michael Phelps, you know, like his, his, uh, mm. his coach used to smash his goggles and whatever, like try to throw them off, but it, it's so smart, right? Because you, you go to the Olympics and there's all this pressure and all these different things can happen. And you have to just be able to like execute this thing that you're really good at by just blocking everything out and just like getting out of your own way and letting it happen, you know? And in that period of time, I developed this system to, to do it for myself. And so I went into 2018, like feeling so calm, like just, cause I just, I knew I had these strategies to deal with whatever happened. And like, I remember going into that race, not just the start of the race, but like particularly the fourth heat, you know, we were, um, six hundredths of a second in the lead and the guy in second, um, Francesco Friedrich, you know, like legendary bobsledder, way faster start than me, way faster sled. So like, I have to be perfect. He can kind of mess up and still probably be really fast. And so you'd think it would be like this, just really, really high pressure, difficult situation. And like, it was, I was aware of it, but like, I just was able to use my strategies and just clear my mind and I remember standing on that start block and just being like, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. I know how to do it. My mind was clear and I just like went and did it. And it was like, it was easy to be honest. Wow. Like it was, it was hard before it, you know, like to get into that position where I was able to do that. But the race itself, like, I just didn't think about anything. I just did my thing. And, you know, like I had basically a perfect run and, it was amazing. The first Olympic gold medalist I've ever spoken to who I think just described their gold medal win as easy. So uh, I think you need to write a book. <laughs> this is where we write a yeah. book. There's a secret in this. It, it, it's easy. Done. That, yeah. That's how you do it. Yeah, I mean, that minute was easy. The, the four years, well, I mean, the I guess 10 years leading up to it, um, you know, obviously a lot of work, but like that, that moment where I realized that you can train this mental aspect of performance and that if you do, it's like, it's almost like having a superpower. It was, it was just so game changing because from, you know, I, I probably got good at it like 
that season probably like it took three years, maybe four years of, of kind of working at it to be like, to the point where I, I felt like I could handle like any, any situation. Um, and, you know, also I was getting pretty good at driving at that point. So it's kind of the other aspect of it. Like you have to be good at what you're doing to just, you know, clear your mind and let your body automatically do it. It has to be, you know, automatic, but it was, yeah, I mean, it was just like, a complete game changer. Cause now I would go into these situations where before, like I'd be, you know, really thinking about it and I'd be thinking about the results and you know, how much it would mean if I did this. And I changed that to just like clearing my mind. I had the tools to do it and just getting out of my own way and just like letting myself perform the way that I could while other people sort of dropped away. And it was just, yeah, I mean, it was, it was an incredible realization. And it's so, I mean, it's kind of like now I'm trying to, I'm retired now. I'm trying to like put together a way to like teach that to other people, you know, like it's, it's different for do? everybody. I, I would imagine, you know, like it, my exact system isn't going to work, but the idea behind it, I think the fundamentals are the same like this, those first steps I took where you, you learn how to like be aware of the mental state you're in and then develop tools to change that into the mental state that you want to be in. It's just so useful. Like it doesn't matter if it's sports or business or a job interview or public speaking or whatever it is like that ability to recognize your headspace and then be able to adjust it to what you need it to be is life-changing. love Turin 2006, one of my favourite Olympics, and particularly because yeah. one of my favourite moments of all time is Dale Begg-Smith winning the gold medal. Um, any Dale stories, connections? Did you get to chat anything? I know Joe's oh. giving me all her stories about the Dale interview that she did, which is great for another time, but anything with Dale at all? <laughs> nothing. He gave us nothing. He gave us absolutely zero. I was. Uh, I didn't have... I think I managed to say well done, mate, when I went down because I was up in the commentary box calling that one. Um, and you're right, Torino 2006, out of everything that I've done, a lot of people say to me, what's the most favourite thing, you know, that, that you've covered? Um, and they go to Formula One, which is which is cool. They go to Australian Open Tennis, which is awesome, All the, the Olympic Games, et cetera. And the one that sticks out for me was Torino 2006. It was my first Winter Olympic Games. Um, I was there doing our news back to Sydney every morning as well, way up um, on the on, in the Alps which was just incredible. And then I was commentating both the moguls, the aerials. So they were at a place called Salze Dutz, which you probably remember. Yep. And then the yep. snowboarding up there as well at a place called Bardenechia. Um, so I was, you know, hovering between all of these and commentating all of these massive events. And Dale Begg-Smith was the one. So he's the only Olympic gold medal that I've ever commentated on, which was, you know, extraordinary. But that's history you know. right there, Matt. Sorry to interrupt, <laughs> but, like, come on. This is this is the most underrated, overlooked gold medal Australia's ever won at the Olympics. We stole a Canadian because they yes. wouldn't let him win the gold and got this moment, the enigma that he's Dale on his island somewhere. But, I mean, you you called it. You were I it. <laughs> I know, which is bizarre, isn't it? It's it's absolutely incredible. It was a, it was a heck of a night, but he... He didn't deliver much. Do you remember at the time there were, you know, the, the journos were sort of digging around, trying to find out more about him and, oh, and yeah. his wealth 
and where the money came from and the pop-up ads that pop up on your on your internet feeds and blah 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 and so he he's quiet by nature but um he just kind of shut down and he didn't really offer anything so <laughs> out of all of the athletes that I've had everything to do with and it could regale you with a million stories about the one and only Olympic gold medal that I've managed to call for an Australian, <laughs> I got nothing, absolutely nothing on him, except that I sat there in the booth. I had Jay only and Stephen Lee beside me. Um, we called it. The hard part about that, now th- this is a this is a really interesting one because when they when they finish, when he finishes, the scores actually come up on the screen in the commentary box before they come up on the screen on your TV. Mm-hmm. So for a split second, probably a little bit longer than that, for a couple of seconds, I knew that he'd won the gold medal. But I couldn't share that with you at home yet because they hadn't put that onto the screen and you can't marry the two up, you know, you can't jump the gun, so to speak. So it was an extraordinary thing where I had these two athletes alongside me doing exactly what you just said, mate. They were going nuts, seriously. And the, the box is as big as, you know, it's about this much room anyway. They're jumping up and down and going crazy. <laughs> and here am I trying to maintain some level of professionalism to say, you know, hold on, let's, let's, let's keep it going for another second or so before, bang, up it comes on your screen and you can announce to the world that he's a gold medalist when you already have known that for the last couple of seconds. So... Yeah, incredible, incredible to see. I mean, that was just, it was an extraordinary trip, that whole thing to to live up in the mountains of, of northern Italy for the best part of a month, to travel around there, to commentate um, snowboarding. That was the first time they brought in border cross. Mm. Um, was just extraordinary. To see how everything worked was, was crazy. Um, Griggsy and I had some good fun up there when we managed to cross paths, which was hilarious fun as well. So... Yeah, a really, really good memory. What do you do with the medal? Is it a, something you put on display, give to the parents, shove it in a shock drawer, a sock drawer? Like, what do you do with it? Yeah, I give it, give it to the mom first thing when I go home. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, so I, I mean, my my parents have a, a little trophy case at home with a lot of my stuff in there. Um, so it, it sat in there for a week until I realized that everyone, I, everyone, everywhere I went to wanted to see it and wanted a picture with it. So, um, I carry it around with me now, most of the time, like any event I go to or a lot of the things. So yeah. Special treatment. Does it get you like early access to a lift, like up to the top of the hill? Like, oh, it's Olympic medalist. I get to go first here. Come on. Yeah, but yeah, every now and then. <laughs> go back to your bar back in Quebec and like wear it around yeah. your neck, getting extra tips then. There you go. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. You walk in, skip the lineup. Yeah. You know, yeah. Look at this coming walk, through. Walk, heavy, walk, heavy yeah, you would walk to the front. <laughs> who do you think you are? I have an Olympic medal. Like I have no idea who you are, but that's cool. Come in. <laughs> it works. And also the more important yeah. thing, I think, too, you got an Olympic medal, but you got a bloody Bing Dwendwen. And as we we love Bing Dwendwen, oh, it was yeah. sold out. What happened to your Bing Dwendwen? That would get you even more access. No, that that one that one stays at my mom's house and uh, <laughs> she's way too that's scared a real prize. to that. Uh, that doll, when we first got it, because we all thought it was like a porcelain Mm. dummy thing like so when we first got it we grab it and then we realize it's a little plushy toy and like i was just on the podium and there was this gift that was made after 
um, this meme that came out of just like me, like poking <laughs> this bear because I didn't realize there was stuff. So I was like, whoa, whoa. And then they're just like repeatedly just like thrusting my finger into this plushy doll. So, yeah, it was pretty, it was a pretty funny moment of the uh, internet internet comedy that's we need to find that i think uh so we've got some research to do after this (laughs) number 12 um i couldn't put it inside my top 10 i'm sorry smoky los angeles dog oh it it makes number 12 on my list here smoky (laughs) smoky this is gonna be all compliments here uh for the first mascot which is the only real mascot um we have a mascot it's a real mascot it is a real dog and what distinguishes it from being just any other dog is it's wearing a sash that says the word mascot on it (laughs) And it's not even an American dog. It's a Scottish terrier. Like they could have got like an American bulldog or something like that. But they, they have gone that one. Put a put a sash it was on. So it. last minute, they just found it outside the stadium. I also love the photo of it. Looks like the poor thing's like like about to piss itself or something. Like it's like shaky. It's amazing. Uh, not amazing enough that I could put it in my top 10. Oh. I almost want to flip it with my other number 11 here. Do it. Do it. Which is do it. The other. Fine, I'll do it here. So Yay. my number 12 is actually Munich Wiener Dog, Waldi. Uh, oh, you don't like which dog. Originally, originally, I gave Waldi extra points uh, because it had a colored sweater uh, as opposed to just mascot written on it. But really... <laughs> The amazingness of the word mascot <laughs> representing your mascot can't be overlooked. Smokey is now my number 11. Swapper with number 10. Yeah, Swapper with <laughs> Keep number 10. Keep going. I mean, I know I can. All right, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do it. I'll do it. Hey. It's really selling me here. So, my new number 12 will be Waldi the Munich Dog. My new number 11 will be Boorang. From Pyeongchang. Oh, too high. Um, <laughs> I, I think that Surang was the better mascot, but I like Boorang. So well, I'm giving away well, now my number 10. You're ranking Surang here, Colin. Boorang was the other one. <laughs> Sorry, I always, <laughs> always mix them up. Uh, Surang, yeah. Boorang would have been the better one, but uh, it'll now make number... It's now outside my top 10. Swabber with number nine. Swabber with number nine. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not going any higher. I'll put it at 10. The dog with the word mascot, Smokey. Next episode, I want us to wear sashes that say host. Um, (laughs) It's a real life, like, I want, like, a real life panda in a space suit in Beijing. (laughs) I want a real life glove in Paris that says mascot on it. (laughs) The next Olympics. Man, what's left? Just get just get it over with. What's left on your list? <laughs> Look, when I knew we were doing this, there like everything else fell into like I I knew what number one was immediately. I've said this plenty of times on this podcast. What the greatest mascot of all time is, and by far it was number one with a bullet. I'm I'm looking at the averages here and spoil it. He doesn't make the top ten, and I'm fucking furious at you two for oh, this. Oh no, you don't have it still, do you? Izzy is number oh, one. No. <laughs> oh no! How does not <sighs> like how is this not in all of your top tens? It's a freaking like. There's this, good reason. <laughs> when they literally came up with this mascot, 
they sat around the table and they showed an image of it. Literally everybody was quiet and somebody said, what is it? And then they go, that's what we're going to call it. And if you go back to the 92 closing ceremony, the Atlanta showcase, they actually introduce it and you've got Sandy Roberts on the YouTube clip commentating on it going, and yes, here it is. What is it? Yeah, but what is it? Exactly. <laughs> they ended up changing the name of it to Izzy. But like, I like I remember as a kid, Atlanta, because there was a video game of this. I think this is the only mascot with a video game. There was a, I don't, I sent you the link. I watched it tonight. It's kind of tedious, but it's very 90s. There's the 30 minute Cartoon Network special of Izzy having to find all the rings. He lives in the flame and he wants to go down and compete in the Olympics. Judging on his superpowers, I think he would probably win a few gold medals, but whatever. Like the fact that like you think of Atlanta, this is the South of America. Like you could have like an alligator, like, uh, you know, so many great things, very American animals, all this kind of stuff. Like, and they've just literally gone, ah, fuck it. There's computers. <laughs> Let's put a couple of things in. What is it? Exactly. That's what we're going to call I think they should have stuck with calling it what is it. I think, you know, that would have ranked it up higher on your list. It's got Olympic rings for tails. It's got a flame with a colourful, like. It's an amendment to be. It's <laughs> an amendment to be. I want an Izzy stuff toy. I looked up on eBay. There's one going for about 60 bucks right now. I'm very tempted. I'm very poor right now, but I want it. I want an Izzy t-shirt. I want an Izzy tattoo. I love Izzy. Izzy is the best mascot ever, period. Number one. Fergie, the Fergs are getting up there because it's unique as well. I love my unique mascot and Izzy's amazing. Fuck you both. <laughs> Let's speak to us. Jared. I mean, it's not even the best mascot called Izzy. <laughs> well, it is. I suppose Lizzie is, is close enough that that's, that's better. Are you thinking of Natalie um, Bassingwaite's character from Neighbours? Well, better still. No, I'm thinking of Lizzie from um, the Paralympics in Sydney. Um, I don't know. It, I mean, I didn't rank it bad, 13th. Yeah. yeah it's just top half, you know. It reminds me of like the DNA strand from Jurassic yes. Park and that little yeah, cat. Yes. DNA. <laughs> Hence why it's amazing. <laughs> but it's so 90s. Like it's so 90s. I just it is the tail. way too but, 90s. But like again, my point is as well, it's like, it's like it's so unique. Once you see this, you never forget it. You never forget <laughs> Izzy. And again, that's where that's where this is different. You know, this is where I'm not holding any grudges for your rankings, Ben, because this really is rank your personal. <laughs> well, we we know this is ranking personal preference, and and like I said, this would be very different if I were ranking just one of the most iconic ones, um, because this would be top five. I mean, iconic for the wrong reasons. Uh, <laughs> what I find fascinating about Izzy is that. A lot of these other logos on here are logo. I keep calling logos mascots on here. They, they kind of took on this iconic status because people grew to love them. And I don't think that in the history of the Olympics, but, 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 and the reason why is because they push Izzy so hard. I mean, they basically determined from the beginning, we're going to have an Izzy empire. There's going to be Izzy cartoons. There's going to be Izzy merchandise, Izzy video games and all that. And people just rejected it. I think that's kind of but that's the Atlanta, legend. Colin. Of, that's Atlanta's got that but, stigma of being the, the over-commercialized game. So that fits in well with Atlanta. I think the other thing is everything else for me, the, everything else with Atlanta was done very classy. They wanted this to be a classy games and Izzy is anything but, um, but 
everybody knows Izzy. I mean, <laughs> that's something. <laughs> Izzy was very universally hated. I don't know if there's been a more hated, like even London, when lock, some people I think liked it, but like Izzy to this day, yeah, every list you see, Izzy's always on it as like the worst mascot. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, over on Keep the Flame Alive, our friends over at their podcast, they're, they're big champions for the Atlanta Olympics. They post a lot of things on mm-hmm. their social media about the history of the Atlanta. It's very fascinating, actually. And they do a lot on Izzy. So, um, <laughs> oh, Izzy. <laughs> Did you get to do any of the ceremonies at all? Obviously, you know, you were there sort of a little bit earlier, but uh, afterwards were you shipped out straight away or were you allowed to sort of stick around and do the ceremony? We were shipped out within like two days, so just missed the closing ceremony, um, which is kind of sad. And I, I I didn't go to the opening ceremony, but, of course, like Laura was the flag bearer, so she went and experienced that, which was pretty cool. Um, once again, it was kind of like, do you risk it with COVID and all the waiting for the opening ceremony? Um, so in the end, I think most of us decided not to do it. But we kind of did our own opening ceremony at the Olympic Village where we were at and we kind of walked around as Australian team and our flag. And, like, I think the Canadians did it as well. And, like, <laughs> it was still kind of – it was nice. It was cool. <laughs> Had that fun. Again, it's your first Olympics, have you? You've got many more uh, opening ceremonies and closing ceremonies you get to go to. The, the competition itself – uh, obviously, Laura and Danny do pretty all right in the first one, go straight through. But then yourself, missing out by what was it, point like one point five of a point. Now, just get it out now, Gabby. Bullshit! You should have made it. Like, come on, get rip into the judges right now. Bullshit! You should have been in that uh, final, yeah. right? <laughs> I re- well, so I can. In their defence, I can see why that point was maybe taken off, but. I'll probably be angry then because I think they thought I touched my hand on the snow when I landed which I will forever say that I did not. <laughs> um, but from their point of view, it looked like I did. But anyway. Um, it's it's that frustrating aspect, though, which you no doubt get used to, right, about, you know, any judge yeah. sport that it just it plays a part. But, I mean, at an Olympics, so like, I mean, even though it's obviously disappointing to miss out by that much of a final, can you sort of almost reflect and go, well, I was – 1.5 away from a final in my first Olympics at yeah. the age of 24. So, I mean, there are positives to take away from that disappointment, I can imagine. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, I don't, I did not leave the competition feeling disappointed in myself. Like, obviously, I think I could have done better, yes, but I was pretty happy with how I competed. Um, yeah. So, and I've got to say, though, too, on the competitiveness of siblings, you mm-hmm. finished 14th at the Olympics, Sophie finished 16th. You beat Sophie at the Olympic Games. Uh, you got to take that one, right? That is very true. I've actually never thought of it that way. You're yeah. welcome. Take yeah. that up at Christmas yeah. dinner, you know, yeah. like, hey, hey, you know, pass me the potatoes. And guess what, Sophie? Beat you at the Olympics, you know? <laughs> Thanks for that. I get extra dessert uh, now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. get chosen like is that just uh the the captain basically the the best leader is that a a rower who is just a bit lazy and just wants to sit there on the microphone i mean like how do you become a a coxswain in an eights boat um well recently the the restrictions have changed so the previously there used to be two different weight limits but now there's just one between the male and female coxswains so i think it's 120 pounds um for a male or a female coxswain and you can 
they can cox either boat. So a female boat could have a male coxswain or either or. And it's usually just not sure how they all end up in the sport, but the small people that end up in the sport that maybe they just didn't make it as rare as I'm not sure, or they've always been coxswain, <laughs> basically. I think it's different for all of them. Um, and they're usually incredibly good at hurting a group of people <laughs> together <laughs> and motivating and, and being able to have about a million things going on in their head at once. They're trying to run the practice or the race plan while watching everything that's happening around them. They're taking the feedback from the coaches, the feedback from the rowers, trying to create the most efficient way to relay that information to the athletes, to keep them in the rhythm, to keep them working on things. And it's just, uh, I, sometimes I don't know how they do it. I couldn't have that many things happening in my brain at once. I would have no idea. They're counting, they're running things, they're talking to people. They're, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> and sitting up in stroke, you get to watch all of that happen in front of you. And you're like, oh. They've got a million different screens that they're looking at and data angry that jockeys, they're seeing. Angry jockeys, yes. you know. <laughs> basically. Which uh, the thing I love about it though is because they get a gold medal too, don't they? So it's it's sort of not of like course. other yes. sports where you know technically, like if you classify them as a coach or however that because you know the the coach of the basketball team doesn't get a gold medal, the volleyball team they don't. Whereas obviously the Cox and does which I, I think coaches should be getting gold medals i think that should think be so in a, you know, come on olympics <laughs> let's make that happen so i mean they're, they're doing all this work they're getting a nice little uh you know sunday afternoon row at an olympic games and then walk away with the medal so but at the end of the day do you also kind of look at them and go look you're just yelling at us we're here working our asses off for 2000 meters like you know pick something up do a bit of physical work all right just stop yelling and you get the easy gold medal we've got the hard ones <laughs> Well, you could look at it that way, but I they are an integral part of the boat. They're the heartbeat and they're the they're telling us what to do. They're reading the race plan. They're making it so that I don't have to think about a single thing other than putting my oar in and out of the water in time with the girls around me. They've got the race plan, they've got the steering, they've got everything else. So that all I have to do is go up and down following the girl in front of me. And so I yeah, I think they're <laughs> they're an amazing part of our boat and a lot of people don't understand <laughs> they think they just yell go 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 <laughs> they get the but easiest job in the world if you ever get the chance <laughs> to listen to some world-class coxswain's race plans you'll understand how important and pivotal they are to the races and how they make the boat i love and hearing the especially stories if the race all. isn't going pivotal yeah. or going to plan there imagine they're phenomenal to be able to regroup and rethink and reset the the race. Hobart, where I'm from, we of course have the Hobart International, which yeah, uh, I'm not sure you, that. you have played it. Oh, great! Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. Me. You've been to my home city, which I mean, it's it's pretty much Tasmania's biggest sporting event it's like our pretty much you know we get cricket and sort of things like that but in terms of international uh you know it is a big event for the state 
Yeah. And uh, you guys have an awesome little, like, is it the wharf or something? Yeah. That's there's there. a, the waterfront, yeah. the wharf area. Yeah. It's right, right yeah. near the tennis center. Yeah. Yeah. That's where, that's where I remember the hotel, uh, the tournament hotel is. And yes. Oh, I love, we, I love that area. I went to like the, it's like the Bonnerong Wildlife. Bonnerong Park. Or, yes. Bonnerong Park. Yep. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. It's so fun. Did I you get to hold it? Did you see a Tassie Devils and like hold a koala and do all the standard things like that? I, I did. I, pet a koala uh, i saw the tasmanian devils i held a koala in sydney actually ah. uh that was something else but um it was really cool we had we got to like feed the kangaroos and it was nice it was pretty, it was pretty fun. i used to do media there a lot but I, I think the last one i would have went to um it was the year that genie got runner up and we, I went to her match, I think it might have been the quarterfinal, ended up being played at like two in the morning because of delays and all that sort of stuff. And there was one member of the Genie Army that was there. And I'd come in a Team Canada thing. We had the flag. It was it was amazing. Like, you know, two of us being vocal when there was like 10 people left. And she won. And I always, you know, tell this story because I loved it, that she grabbed my phone and took a selfie of me with me on that. And that was for her, oh, not for me. Like So, you know, that was oh, my, that's my, nice. my Canadian tennis connection that I had when Jeannie came to, to Hobart, which was a, a fun little memory. I've got a couple of Dale questions which you might be able to clear up for us, the mythos of the man himself. When it came to Sochi, is it basically true that he was just laying around not doing a whole much and he got a phone call, oh, do you want to come keep a show? Yeah, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll come do it. Like, I mean, it was a pretty late call-up, wasn't it, him to make that decision to just, yeah, it's the Olympics, I'm not doing much, I'm not busy this winter. Sure, why not? I'll give it a crack. Um, no, I think it was, that was all, it came from him. I think it was, I mean, my, ta- uh, my understanding is it was like, it was, that was internal motivation and he decided he wanted to come back and, and give it another crack and, um, and I think the skill level was definitely there to be able to do it. I mean, you look at his first few events of the season and he hadn't like, he hadn't competed in years and he came out and was like in the super final on his very first World Cup back in Finland. And I was, I was just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> How? <laughs> but it just speaks to the, like, the phenomenal skill level that he had and the mastery of the sport that he had. Like it was really – his technical ability was 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 – up there with the greats of all time like it really is something special um and no it's funny though that you, you sort of bring that up like I, I do remember there was this one moment um obviously like he was given his age and where he was in his career like he he started carrying some some physical um i guess you know, issues that he had to manage on an ongoing basis so like i remember for example at that at that world cup in deer valley the second to last one that i told you that i didn't do very well at um, we had our first, uh, so we always, you know, before an event, we always get two training days and then two days or one or two days of competition. And on the first training day, um, he elected not to come out and ski the course. And we were all like, like, this is like one of the hardest courses on tour. Like, how are you, like, you, you got to make the most of every single minute that you get on this course, right. To figure it out before the event. And he was like, ah. Oh, no, nah, it's going to be different tomorrow anyway. Um, <laughs> like he's like he's like I've, I've looked at the forecast. Like it's going to snow a lot, and the course already already changes so much from from day to day anyway. Like oh, it'll be okay. And I kind of I realized like afterwards that he was actually he was just sort of managing his body, and he had some he had some stuff there that he had to sort of be careful that he didn't overdo it before the event, so that he was in a position to actually be able to compete. Um, but I remember like myself, Matt, and Sam at the time, we were just like blown away by like this guy is like his level of confidence is just 
on another on a, like on another planet like he that that course intimidates a lot of people like in, in quite a big way because it's just you stand in the start gate you look down this top section you're like oh my how am i gonna how am i gonna negotiate this little this tricky little beast and um and because it's just really it's like sharp it's jagged like it, it it's steep it's icy and generally you got to be really precise with kind of your speed and how how big you take the top jump and all those sorts of there's all these little nuanced factors around that course that you've really got to it just feels like you never have enough time to figure it out before the event gets underway and um and i just remember him yeah he 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 missed that first training day but he came out on the second training day he kind of did what he needed to and then he came out and he i can't remember it I can't remember what his result was exactly, but you know, off the back of of that event and the Rooker event in Finland, he was he done he done what he needed to to qualify for the Olympics, and then he was like, "All right, well, I'm good now." So it's like it's just it was so it was so clinical, and for me at the time, being like an emerging athlete and trying to you know still so much technical skill yet to be acquired in my career, and I just remember seeing that being like, "Wow." Wow. That's mastery. <laughs> that's, that's insane. That's just incredible. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, the the enigma of him. Trust me, I've got 407 other questions we can clear up throughout this interview too, buddy. Don't worry. But that's, that's just what an incredible story with that. <laughs> the thing also too that I love about it, um, you know, your name, B-Boy Kid Tech, like, how do you how do you come up with that? Is that something that you you pick from when you first start, or does it get given to you? I mean, how do all these cool names that we see all of the dancers having uh, come about? Yeah, I guess well, traditionally, you have your name given to you, right? So in my case, when I was in my first year of breaking, I would practice with you know a bunch of people, and one of my crewmates he gave me that name. It was like Kid Tech, you know. Before that, I guess the name itself is usually based on you know, characteristics of you or characteristics of your dance. So for me, I was always the youngest guy in the group. So that's where the kid aspect comes in. And tech is based more on my breaking style. So technical, you know, quite a technician when it comes to how I construct my moves. And the term tech is what we use for a small combo. So I guess back then I would make a lot of intricate combinations with my moves. And you could say I had a very tech-based style, and I was also just quite technical with how I did things. So tech was just, you know, came natural as well. So kid tech was just how I appealed to other people at that time. You know, some people do choose their name though, but um, I think it's cooler when it gets given to you. Yeah, I can imagine. And is it sort of something then that? you know, you're not, I can't imagine anybody would really change it along the way, right? It's not like, fuck, I've been doing shit as kid tech, so let, let's call myself, you know, uh, juvenile tech, or I've grown up now, I'm adult tech. Like, I mean, I don't know yeah. if that probably happens too much in breaking. Uh, no, nah, not really. I, I do get that a lot, though. You know, when are you going to become adult tech or adolescent <laughs> tech or whatever, you know? But, you know, I, for me, I, I, I did consider changing my name, actually. I considered changing my name maybe two years ago because I did, I came from quite a long hiatus from breaking and I wanted to kind of, you know, reinvigorate myself. And I was like, you know, mate, I'm going to change my identity. I'm going to pick a new name. I'm going to start fresh and then I'm just going to make a bang. But, you know, reflecting back on what that name really means to me, kid tech, I mean, you know, I was like, nah, this is, this is me. This is who I am. It's been given to me. It's kind of sacred for me. So I just kept it. And I think being a kid is very much like a, 
you know, that, that's a really important part of not just breaking, but hip hop in general, kind of like feeding the inner child, allowing that inner child to play and, you know, being free and being, you know, expressive and random and being childlike. For me, that's a very, very big part of breaking. You know, at the end of the day, we just want to be, you know, kids again. Yeah. That's like the epitome of freedom, the epitome of creativity. So yeah, you know, absolutely. I, I will gladly be kid tech when I'm 70 years old. Well, I want to ask about that because from an Australian perspective, we were very happy with how that all played out basically because it was what the new format where you had to have the best third place teams to get into the quarterfinals. And Australia obviously had to get 25 points more against Puerto Rico. They did it, got through, but that was at the expense of Canada. And I remember being on air because we're co-Canadian, co-Australian, so our Canadian co-host, not too happy that that was happening. Were you watching this game and just going like, come on, Puerto Rico, drop a three, drop this, drop that, because we're all cheering, more points, more points, and you're going, no, 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 less points, less points. Like, how was that? It was awful. So it actually, after we lost to Spain, uh, we kind of had, there was like five different situations where if it happened, we would have advanced uh, in all of these games. And so it was sort of like when you started watching some of these games and by the end, it was kind of just like, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't even watch that last game because it was just sort of like your heart was broken every single time you watched one of these games and like the situation just didn't turn in your favor. You know, it was like the France U S like the U S I had to be, you know, if they beat France by 11 points or more, you know, it was like all these like point spread differential things that were like, this close to going our way and then just didn't. And so it was almost like just tearing off a bandaid like six times after you, you know, like lost. Um, so it was so much worse than just being like, okay, we lost and we're out. It was like, how could we make this more painful? So yeah, by the time that Australia, that was the last one and I wasn't even watching anymore. I was just like, I can't. My heart does not have enough to handle this anymore. Well, I guess as an Australian, I apologize for that. Um, That's all right. It was on us. We would have taken care of business. We would have been fine, but we had it in our hands and we didn't, we didn't get the job done. So yeah, that's what happens. But Is there sledging in archery? It's obviously very mental, but can you give each other a bit of a, you know, I, I don't know, uh, the rules against it, but even if you can't, like, you know, badmouth someone in between ends, can you just sort of give them a bit of a look? Or like, yeah, mate, come on, you're shooting like shit. Let's let's turn this up a little bit. Like, does that go on in archery? <laughs> no, no. Um, it's a little bit more of a gentleman's sport in that aspect, but there are some tactics, some tactics you can play throughout the day um to kind of throw some people off their game but uh no no sledging which i have to ask then taylor what what are some tactics can you, <laughs> can you share with us some archery tactics to throw people off their game um so when when you you lift your bow up to come and draw and, and go through your shot cycle sometimes people don't like seeing other people do that in their peripherals while they're shooting so they'll wait so what you can do if, if you know that person's behind you and is waiting for you to shoot, you can just time them out. 
by just sitting there because you know you can shoot fast. Or if there is a break and they've gone up, then you go up really quickly and throw them off. Wow. Or um, you can fumble putting your arrow into the bow and it kind of sounds like the clicker going off and you can make <laughs> people flinch that way. Um, in a match play scenario, when it's a head-to-head, one shot per, per person, um, you, if you know the other person is a really slow shooter, then you would make your shot really fast to give them less rest and then that would force them to um, push them push them a lot faster and that will force errors and mistakes. That's crazy. I love hearing that. And, I mean, are there athletes then out there that you always know these mind games work with? Like are you studying these opponents at the same time <laughs> going like, ah, oh, I know they're a real slow shooter so I'm just going to fuck with them today. This is this – bring it on. <laughs> Um, you can, you can kind of tell sometimes when people are struggling, um, and if you want to use that to your advantage, then go for it. But, uh, most people at the top end are so internally focused. They don't really know what's going on, but it kind of works at the lower levels. I race biking, road biking, and then I do a lot of mountain bike now in the summer. And um, I played basketball. That was mainly my second sport. Um, actually, not a lot of people know this, but I played ping pong when I was like, really young. Wow. Um, yeah. Nice. So, <laughs> I, I like to- getting exclusives on this show. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's, uh, yeah, actually, don't be ashamed. To- Sell it more. Let's play more ping pong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I actually never went to the Quebec games in skiing, but I went in ping pong. So Wow. Yeah. Okay. There you yeah. go. That's not on your bio. I couldn't find that in the <laughs> no. research. How did you do? How did you go with the Quebec games in ping pong? Uh, I think I finished like fifth or something, but wow. I don't think there's many people. So. <laughs> Still, that's all right. Fifth at the Quebec yeah. games in ping pong. That's, that's crazy to think that. Wow. I, this is one thing I love about Canada is the fact that there's a Canada games and then each province kind of has the provincial games. I really wish we would do that in Australia because I mean, sort of, I guess jumping forward a little bit here, but I mean, does it help getting a bit of multi-sport experience, even though it's not obviously in skiing, but you know, to experience what it's like to go to a, an event where you're surrounded by multi-sport athletes, different sports, your village live, all those kind of things that you will ultimately will experience in the Olympics. Yeah, it's pretty fun. And I feel like it, it pushes kids to like, it makes it, special for even if you don't make it to high level at least you had that experience to go to a special game meet like when you're young even if like for me it was in Saint-Saint which is like two and a half hours from my house but it was a trip to go there you know and meet other people from the province so it was pretty special to go to a big event like in grade five you know <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <pretty> fun, <yeah. laughs> which i can imagine the the regional rivalry there in quebec i mean i'll be honest i've only ever been to montreal a couple of times i've never made it to quebec city but based on what i know in the history of say the hockey teams i know that obviously uh, the nordiques and the habs hated each other back in the day but like is that kind of a thing when you go to a quebec games that if you're representing that region it's like beat montreal basically or beat sort of the <laughs> other regions as well yeah yeah it's pretty competitive and each each region has the, their like um how do you say it? like their screaming like ritual or whatever right, like their yes, song the, you know yep yep yeah and um and I feel like even now when I speak to younger kids that go to the Quebec games it's still the same songs you know and everyone knows the everyone that made, did a sport know the classic song of the the Quebec games so it's it's pretty fun. Am I allowed to put you on the spot and ask you what your song was from your 
region? Actually, I feel like Quebec City was lame. Like the region of Quebec, we didn't really have a song. Oh. Like I remember like Abitibi, Témiscamingue, which is a super small region. Mm-hmm. And they had like um really song and yeah, I. I'll put you on the spot there, basically yeah, with that low. But we we can look this up. We can find out. That's fascinating. That's so interesting to kind of hear that that goes about. Did you get an opportunity to then take your ping pong to the Canada Games, or was it a skiing? That like, did you ever get to represent Quebec at a Canada Games? I was supposed to represent skiing at the Canada Games, but I got hurt before, so I couldn't go. But um, and Canada Games come every four years, and the Quebec Games are every year. Um, and I almost represented um the region of Quebec in cycling also, but um, in the end, I didn't make it. Wow. So many different sports here that you're obviously good enough to to represent. That's crazy. You know, we've gone back and forth on it. We did um, do minimal coverage of the World Games. We did a couple shows of that because they do have an IOC connection. Yeah. And of course, we've gone pretty strongly into the Paralympics. Yes. Uh, We're doing a lot of coverage of that. But we've talked a lot about, you know, do we cover the regional games, the Commonwealth, the Pan Am? Because we certainly watch them. And a lot of our listeners as well, do you? We did watch the Commonwealth. They were a big hit. We had a lot of discussion on our Facebook page about the Commonwealth Games and how much we could see and what could we see and what was happening. But we made the decision to not cover the regional games because then we felt like we were getting we were spreading ourselves too thin and we're saying okay there is so much material with the olympics and the paralympics if we just start covering all of the multi-sport games we are two people Mm. who can't possibly cover all of it well so let's leave that to to elsewhere and yet of course if some of our what we call our shuklastanis the people that we've interviewed are competing we'll always mention uh who's competing when they're competing how they did so yeah the the commonwealth this game uh, this year was or last year we had a great time on the stateside watching it i mean there was a there was a bull in the arena Mm -hmm. the The birmingham Birmingham bull that's like the greatest thing we've ever seen yes (laughs) How good Come was it? On. That was fantastic. And now it's got a home. So oh. yes, it was it was a hit here. And Ozzy Osbourne and, and Duran Duran, like I mean Birmingham put Duran it on. Duran. We are of a certain age where when Duran Duran showed up, our our hearts got a little <laughs> fluttery. What, what, what about Dexy though? <laughs> was it the same reaction? Yeah. Not quite, but I still know the words to, to that song. I knew all the words. They dropped Midnight Runners and now we're just Dexy because, uh, I don't know, inflation, it costs too much to have three le- three words in their name. I have no idea. Did he fire the Midnight Runners? <laughs> we we talked about that. They're, they're a certain <laughs> age now where midnight is too late for them. So now they're just uh, <laughs> Dexies. Nailed it. <laughs> to keep the flame alive because again they're better than us we <laughs> much like we are the like we are the donovan bailey we kind of just like got it and we'll probably get stripped from us in a while and then they're going to get the gold they're the carl lewis right that's how yep. it works isn't it but donovan bailey didn't get stripped of the gold <laughs> ben Johnson. don't you say anything <laughs> bad about donovan the other canadian <laughs> that won the hundred meters <laughs> 
there you go. Apologies to Donovan. Is that our new clothing? Apologies <laughs> to Donovan Bailey. And apologies to Donovan Bailey. <laughs> I, I think we just found one. Uh, we didn't yeah. ask them their favorite meatloaf song. Oh, well, that's for episode two coming soon. Which can I just say that that uh, episode that that joke is referenced on is in about a month's time. So you're going to finally catch up to this meatloaf <laughs> joke that we've mentioned a few times. But, um, oh, man. Can we start again? Can we just get him like right on the line right now? Get him back on line now. Yeah, Jesus Christ. You did all right. First World Cup race, you win a bronze. Uh, you get a bronze, couple of bronzes and a silver in the World Championships in the in the eight leading into Rio. Do you, do you remember that feeling when sort of you got the nod, you were going to, to Rio based on that consistency and that performance that you'd had in that period in the lead up to 2016? Yeah, I do actually. I can remember sort of the first moment that I realized that it was, it was happening um, because when I was in under 23s and even sort of the tail end of high school or of university, when I realized that I had this opportunity to potentially go to the Olympics, I dreamed of racing in Lucerne, Switzerland. Cause that was sort of the, pinnacle beauty of international race courses and it's such a well-known race to go to it's world cup three and it's almost always held in lucerne switzerland and in 2013 i made the eight and raced world cup three in lucerne and we won bronze my very first international race and we came third and i remember standing in the boat park and sort of looking at everyone packing up their boats when the races were done and having my medal on my neck and thinking like, oh my gosh, this is the moment that I've dreamed of when I started rowing and it's possible. Like I'm here now, I'm in the mix. I helped the boat win bronze. Maybe I can keep going. And so the day that they named the team for Rio was exciting because then it's official, but in rowing, it's not sort of like it's unknown. It's unknown. You have no idea what's happening. And then boom, you like, you know, because you sort of have to train in these lineups and test it you kind of see what the team will potentially look like before it's actually announced publicly. And so I had a a very good feeling that I was going to be named to the team in 2016, but didn't want to, you know, count on it because you never know anything can happen. I didn't want to jinx it. And so when we finally got named and we actually went to Toronto and the official naming ceremony happened and they, you know, interview you and they take all the pictures and they give you the kit. um, It was a pretty surreal moment because I remember thinking, like I, this is what I've always wanted. This is my dream. And now here I am standing in it. And it's sort of hard to take it all in when it's actually happening. Does the Australian moguls team have a nickname? Like I know you've got the flying kangaroos and aerials and we like to nickname our sporting teams, but does the, does the moguls team have a nickname? No, we don't. It's just, I mean, on Instagram, it's just Osmogul team. <laughs> Pretty well, simple. <laughs> can I suggest one? Can I suggest yeah. one for you? What about the Bumperoos? I think the that bum- would work. <laughs> or, or the Mogulroos. Like, you've got to have some sort of roo connection. But I think the Bumperoos sounds great. Bumperoos. I mean, I'll bring it up with the team. I'll see how we go. We'll have a little poll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the merch out there, you know, kind of you could be yeah, selling this out there, you know. Bumperoos <laughs> has got such a great ring to it. You know? Yeah, that would be good. I mean, if we could get a name and uh, get ourselves out there a bit more, it'd be great to have some more Australians supporting winter sports. So that would yeah. be really cool. 
Yeah. I mean, every, every Olympics, you think about it, like when, you know, the men's basketball team wins a medal, it's the boomers or the Opals winner in yeah. the women's, you know, you, the stingers, the sharks in water polo, hockey roos, kookaburra, they've all got names. And yeah. I think it's only the flying kangaroos. I, I know in ice hockey we're the mighty roos, but we're obviously not really going to make the Olympics probably anytime soon in ice <laughs> hockey. But, yeah, I think this needs to be a winter sport thing. The flying kangaroos can't be the only name of a, an Olympic winter team so bumperoos take it on board taylor come yep. on uh-huh. make it happen <laughs> bumperoos i like it now see what they think <laughs> good all right the other question i want to ask you too just sort of your post uh mogul's career and sort of yep. what you've been involved in i believe you were involved a bit with the aoc in terms of sort of doing some work for them and the thing that i i liked seeing here that you did for tokyo you helped write a bunch of the bios on the website which Thank you. They're very handy for research <laughs> when it comes to uh, interviewing Olympic athletes. So how's yeah. that experience sitting down and uh, having to research and write a couple of hundred uh, athlete bios for an <laughs> Olympic Games? It was really good. I, I interned um, with the AOC just throughout some of my injuries and I was lucky enough they contacted me just before Tokyo and they needed um, a content writer and I was like, sweet, yeah, I'll do it. That sounds good. I'll do it like in between my training sessions and after after training. Um, and there's a lot, there's a lot of people on the summer Olympic team compared to the winter yeah, Olympic team, Just a few. Like 500 people and we have like 30. So it was a lot of bios. I didn't necessarily write all of them. Some of them, um, we had some other interns and some other people writing and I just had to get them up on the website and add the photos and do all that bit. But I was really lucky. I got to actually interview some athletes, um, which right. was really exciting to be able to talk to them and their experience and write about them. And, um, the same leading into Beijing, uh, I was actually kept on up until the first world cup last year. So up until Rooker, I was interviewing and writing the bios for the winter athletes, like the athletes going to Beijing that were, had pretty much pre-qualified from the season before I wrote all of their bios. So like, you know, Matt Brody from my team, um, Danny Scott. Did you write yours? Did you do your own? No, I didn't write my own. (laughs) That would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Taylor is a legend. She is the greatest yeah. Olympian of all time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I said to Jakara, I'm like, you better be nice to me. I get to write your bios. So. <laughs> Jakara sucks. She has no chance at an Olympic medal. She also uh, snores. Yeah. <laughs> As my roommate, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, it was really cool. So I got to interview a bunch of athletes as well and write some stories about them. And I really, I really enjoyed writing about athletes who – didn't necessarily have the hype around them or get get a mention because you know you have your your star athletes and then you know everybody everybody trains just as hard everyone's going to the Olympics everyone has deserves to have their story told as well I think so it was really it was great to be able to write those stories and um, get them out there leading into the games. I have to ask though, Dan. I mean brought it up at the very beginning but the attention you got the whole brad pitt of canoe slalom like i mean it's a bit of fun a bit of laugh obviously saying your mates bring it up and that sort of stuff but i mean how, how does that even get brought to you does somebody just like a mate go like oh this is what they're calling you this is what they're saying and all this kind of stuff and does that does that lead to anything you talk about potential opportunities are you going to be the face of some sort of you know great new product now because uh, you are this you know new great athlete the brad pitt of canoe slalom yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of funny how it came about. Um, it was there was one American journalist in 2019 who was doing um, background, you know, profiles for people who were potentially going to make the games, and you know, sh- this was 
in Spain at the World Championships and she said something along the lines of that and it was just her, just she's the only one who said it and she just put it in her notes. And then when this profile popped up, when I did make it to the games, all of a sudden everyone started saying it and it just it blew up and I couldn't believe it. I was like, what is this? And then, yeah, the whole social media side of it as well, they were just getting messages flying through. It was really funny ask, thing to be a part of. Did you of. get some of those? Like, I can't imagine some of those messages you probably got after that. <laughs> it was it was interesting. It was really funny to just sit back and, like, you know, be a part of that and watch that unfold. You know, it was not something I'd seen before, um, you know, kind of going on the water to race a final run and then, you know, coming out and having 200 DMs in 10 minutes that you're on the water. <laughs> wow. That's, that's insane. But it's exposure, right? Like, I mean, publicity, that's, that's helping it somehow. Like there's well, got to be endorsement no, deals you can get from this. There's, there's no such thing as bad publicity. And I think that was far from bad publicity. Yeah. I think if Brad Pitt is listening, big listen to the show, of course, I mean, you could do some sort of get him in the boat, put him out there. I'll be, I'll be a stunt double if he ever has to kayak in a movie. Exactly. Well, there you go. It would work out perfectly. It would kind of balance yeah. it out. That That's absolutely crazy. I always love hearing that moment of crossing the line, realizing you've won the gold. Obviously, it's in short track. You're battling the clock, so it's kind of it's there. But can you put that into words now that it's been a few months since you won that gold, or are you still digesting that moment when you took the gold in Beijing? <laughs> um, that that gold in the in, in Beijing is really um, like I, I feel that it's like um, I feel that it's almost like a redemption of like or of my journey a little bit of like, I'll, I always like chased uh, the success in short track. Um, like I won gold medals in, in short track, but like it, they're so hard to get because you're doing so many races. And um, I, we are, we often says about me that I have like gold medal habit, but it's always like, yeah, that's good that you have that, but you still don't have a gold medal, you know, like it's like, uh, in a sense, it's beautiful to have that, but you need to have the hardware, um, around your neck. And I think that's, that's the feeling that I had in short track that I was doing all the right things, like in my thinking and the position and the quality that I have, like, and I, I feel that at some point it's like, okay, I think I've reached my potential. And like, that's why I switched. And when I changed over to long track, I was just like trying to be the best athlete as possible. And just like, even though I have all the background, I was just like, I'm here to learn. I didn't know where was the starting line. I didn't know what was like, where's the finish? Like teach me long track speed skating. And it was an amazing like experience to just like looking back, like obviously it was, it, I had my, my challenges and my doubt and just like, what am I doing here? But it was like a great, like learning about me as an athlete, but also as a person of like, I didn't know if I would be successful in long track. So like, uh, it was important for me to define who am I outside of the sport? Because I, the only thing that I did is for, for 25 years, sk skating is in circle. Like, what can I, what am I outside of the sport? And what if like uh, next year I'm, I'm not skating, like what I'm going to do. So 
on that side also I, I had to learn a lot and it was a process that made me skate just like more freely and um building a team again like a in the team pursuit I think uh I had the opportunity to skate with other girls that uh, we get to know each other and like me uh, bringing what I knew from short track, how do we get better together? But at the same time, the only person that you can control is you. And so when we crossed the line in Beijing, it was just like a mix of emotion. Like I was just like, I want to go to Beijing and with the feeling that I've done everything in my position to just like do the best performance, whether it's, we knew we could win gold, but like, you don't know what's going to happen. And it's just, mm. and with COVID it added like an extra like thing of like staying healthy. And I just didn't want to have any regrets. So whatever happened, it's a gold, it's a silver, it's a bronze. If we did the best we had, if we gave the best we had, what can we do? Like we were not the fastest on that day. And having that, like when we cross the line, you always have also the, the feeling in a race of just like, because we're not racing against like the other team on the other side, you just need to be the fastest. And me, I'm behind Isabel was six foot two. So I'm just like in her butt. <laughs> and just like the only thing that I see is just like, her bum, my hand, and just like we push. <laughs> and um, I don't know where we are. And when we cross the line, it's just like, I push the hardest, like every corner as, as hard as I can. And just like, there's no comfort zone. Particularly when you're and someone's butt. <laughs> it's a pretty good looking one. I'm like, well, we, hey, we I have mean, to th- say. Th- there's a positive, right? If you've got a good looking butt <laughs> in front of you and you're about to win Olympic gold, you can't complain. But um, yeah. how many sports are in the Olympics and you, you're happy that you're in someone's butt? So, okay. Yeah. And uh, when we cross the line, I'm going to finish my story at some point. Uh, <laughs> Isabel looked at me and she just said, We won. And like from there, it was just like a tons of emotion. Like when I said that I cried a lot in, in Beijing, it's like at the end of the, the night, I felt dehydrated because I cried so much. Like it was just like wow. an emotional night of just like not, not only winning gold because I feel that four years ago, I never expected to win gold in long track speed skating. It was for me, it was just like, I'm just going to go try it and see where it goes. And, and, uh, but it was just like the whole like journey of like developing myself and trying like just trying to be the best my best self like as an athlete and bring everything that I know but also sharing it accepting also like the the critique like how to get better try to fix like the old habit from uh the old habit from uh from short track is just like a lot of process of like being humble and like push your ego on the side and just like tell me what to do and i'll just do it without questioning it and so it was like i'm really i'm really proud of my of my transition i think it was the most important uh part of my career because and probably like up to this day like in my life of just like learning so much 
and just like proving myself so much of what I can do. What what an incredible story. And it's just, I mean, even you saying that four years prior, you could have never imagined that that's where you, you would be. And I also just want to point out the semifinal, you beat the Dutch, you beat Irene Vorst. I mean, that's like if you switch to tennis tomorrow and you beat Serena Williams in a semifinal. Like, I mean, that's just insane that you can go out of your way to beat the GOAT. Does that add a little bit of extra <laughs> weight to that gold medal? That that's, You didn't beat him in the final, but you still knocked them out on the way to that gold medal. Yeah, I would say that I, it's like, obviously, yes, I was like, I was and we were like really proud to 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 beat I, Irene. But I mean, like, it's also like, it's a team, like it's a team effort. And I think like, as for us, we did work a lot into uh, the team pursuit of like, we have three different skater, Isabel, Ivini and I, and where we're all like, we have like different strength and uh, weaknesses that we really work together to how do we develop a strategy for us that will work for us. And I think at the games we were, we had like a, a strategy that we were the only one doing. And like we, we did mistakes. Like I think our race was not perfect, but I think like we proved that we can have like a, a foot difference in like the height of skater. And it, because I'm mentioning that because like so many like journalists asked, us that that question is just like i and now nowadays like we're talking so much about like uh, the accepting your body and like accepting like the way you are and i think like we're proving it of just like you don't need to be all the same shape to perf- to be performing like if you find like your way of like working you can be successful What is something people usually describe you as? Ah, mm. uh, what's the word? <laughs> uh, one of my best friends. <laughs> nah, I don't know if I can say that. Um, <laughs> you can say anything on this show. This is off the podium. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I would need the I would need the approval of my my boyfriend upstairs. I don't know. <laughs> sometimes I just feel that sometimes I interpret uh, like my interpretation of things is like a little bit different in like the English word, and it's like no, you should not, no, 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 you should not do that. You, know, you can always say it in French, and then we can just have our French speakers probably understand. I can just see it going, oh, yep, yep, that's completely fine. <laughs> uh, no, but I think I'm just gonna look at the translation here because. <laughs> This is the first time I've ever had somebody want to translate something on this show. This is gold. I love this. Uh, well, this needs to happen more often. Uh, uh, <laughs> they say that I'm a glouton. A glouton. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is that? I, can you say that? That you I, love I, food, like you're just like eating a oh, lot. Oh right. Okay. Glutton. A glutton. Oh, that was my pronunciation. Damn Come it. on, Valerie. Jesus, you, you're nearly there. You're nearly there. I was about to say a gluten. That's that's a new one, but a glutton. Okay, that works. Oh, that works. I'm gonna be so embarrassed watching that again. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. This will be played a lot now that uh, now that we've gotten this far with it. Um, 
Love that. Okay. Nothing wrong with a glutton. <laughs> Glutton's fine. Glutton's a good thing to be. Let's just say that. Um, I'm going to call it a gluten, though. That that's that's it. Sounds a bit more proper. <laughs> Being a gluten for punishment. That that works. Um. <laughs> An incredible collection of guests and episodes throughout the last 50 episodes. As always, we like to thank again all of our guests who did join us on the show over those episodes as well as to everybody who tuned in. And if you want to hear all of those episodes in full, as always, search for Off The Podium on social media or wherever you get your podcast from and you can be able to find all of those episodes on there in full, in their entirety and listen to the great content that has been out there over the last 50 episodes. And we're going to have some more great content coming your way because we've got plenty of episodes, interviews, and everything else in between coming up. Of course, we've been doing two episodes a week recently. I will say as of next week, we will be reverting back to one episode a week. So this Friday, you will have an episode, and then from that point on, we will go back to our traditional weekly slot of a Friday episode. But we've got plenty banked, plenty of interviews that are banked, so you'll be able to hear them over the coming weeks and months. And I'll give you a bit of a tease. Our next episode dropping this Friday will be back to the great sport of ice hockey. You know we love our ice hockey guests on this show, and you will love that guest. But also in the coming weeks, we'll be going back to swimming. We'll be going back to moguls. We'll be going back to breakdancing. You know we enjoyed our uh, chat, of course, with breaker Gerard Caballon a few weeks back. So we're going to be hearing from another breaker on this show. And we're going to be debuting a few sports that we've never had on the podcast before. We're going to talk to our very first soccer athlete, our very first handball athlete, and we're also going to get to our very first triathlete on this show. So some big ones there. And speaking of big ones, we've got some big name guests as well. We have somebody who is considered the goat of their sport. And often that's a big call. A lot of people like to debate this, but the athlete in question, their sporting federation officially labeled them the greatest athlete in the history of their sport. So when your governing body of your sport does that, we think that is kind of the be all and end all of you being the goat. We also have a very iconic Australian TV personality who is also a commentator at the Olympics to look forward to there as well. An Australian athlete who stole our hearts during the Beijing Winter Olympics with a surprise silver medal. And speaking of hearts being stolen, Colin, he, let's just say, fanboys out quite a lot when it comes to not one but two, but three. Not one but two, but three. That makes more sense, Ben. Three guests all at once. Three guests who he may have photos of behind him when he's doing interviews. So if you if you listen to this show regularly, you're going to know who that is. So, or who they are, I should say. So we have plenty of great episodes coming your way. Of course, Colin, Jared, and I will also come together for some more fun of the Olympics to come your way. And uh, in just a few months' time as well, can you believe it will be a year out from the Paris Olympics? So stay tuned in the middle of this year, where we, of course, will come together for our one year out to Paris 2024 episode. And we are very much looking forward to bringing you that and chatting all things to do with the next Summer Olympics, which are getting closer and closer every time we release an episode. Big thanks to everybody for tuning in. We had a lot of fun bringing you this trip down memory lane. Remember to like, subscribe, do all the great stuff that you already do out there by supporting the show we always appreciate your support here and off the podium no matter where you are in the world and how you listen or how you watch of course remember you can check out all of our interviews via youtube 
as well. But as I said, we appreciate your support and thank you very much for coming on this journey with us. Plenty more to come along the way. As always, shout out to the Birmingham Bull. My name is Ben. This has been Off the Podium. And remember to go left.